0: Three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schommler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 391. Welcome in. In my opinion, uh, let me tell you first of all, uh, I'm recording this episode out of order. So I have recorded already the entire second half. You're going to hear two topics. And then a cut, and the rest of the show I've already recorded, so I'm recording this out of order. And in my opinion, this is one of the best, if not the very best episode of Strong Opinion Sports I have ever made in my career. I'm very proud of it. Uh, I want to set the bar high here. I want to set the expectation clearly. I, I really think this is a good one. And uh, you know, One other weird shout out. This is a, <laughs> a fun side thing. Later in the show, uh, you're going to hear me reference a weird exotic bug. And my fiance, you know, put on the the big boy pants and took that out for me. She was the hunter who killed that bug. And I, I am not going to lie. So there's this weird bug that we'll get to later. I tried to kill it, and it crawled on me, up my arm, up my back, faster than anything I've ever seen in my entire life, and then flew away. And I felt the little legs and the shell of it, and it, it's... You ever seen a cockroach move? It was that, but it was even faster than a cockroach. It looked like a an earwig, and a cockroach had a baby. It, terrifying. It was yellow. It could fly. Awful, disgusting creature. Shout out to my fiancé, my future wife. She killed that crazy bug. Great. I'll reference that later. I know that doesn't make any sense to you, but I want you to know that because I, I can't tell you later because I already recorded later, so... Uh, this is a very, very long episode. Dude. And I'm going to, this intro to the show is going to be, I'm it's already long. And so I'm going to just, I have a couple things to say. I'm going to get them all out. Uh, a very, very long episode today. And I, you know, when I see a, a podcast episode that, you know, when I see a, an episode of a podcast that I listen to shout out to sacred symbols, I get very, very excited when I see a long one. I'm like, Oh yes. I get to spend hours with my favorite people. And, uh, so I hope that people feel the same way about my show when they see an episode that's very long and um, I, like I promise it is full of really, really good stuff. This is a very um, content-rich episode. I hope you enjoy it. I do want to say that and I want to, I'm putting this at the beginning and another non-sports thing. I want as many people to hear this as possible because I am trying to find some help. So if anyone, I'm crowdsourcing using my podcast to try to get some help. I'm looking for help or advice. I'm considering shaving my head, and no, not like Britney Spears style. I'm gonna cut it. I think really long, like a six, which is three quarters of an inch. And I'm not sure if it's gonna look good or not. I, I kind of don't care. Like you can look at my background; you can clearly tell I don't care that much about aesthetic. Uh, I have a plan. I'm gonna put some shelving here, put like my baseball gloves and baseball. I'm gonna. some base because I, I, I live in a tiny apartment. I need to use the space as efficiently as possible. Like every little square foot matters. So behind me, it's going to be quote decorations, but also just a shelf to store like my basketball, my footballs, our baseball gloves, our baseball. I just, I've just bought two new baseballs, uh, literally last night for like five bucks. And I'm very excited because my fiance and I can play catch with our baseball, uh, our new, our new baseballs. I'm really excited about that. Anyway, I clearly don't care about, um, aesthetic. Cause if you look at the show, obviously, I care about function, and I'm getting really annoyed by my hair. I'm really tired of it. It's hot. I have to like, I have to style it, and I hate style. Like, why? Can I just have short hair that looks the same every day, like uniformity? And uh, if anyone has any advice or cuts their own hair, please write and let me know. I'm looking for any tips at all on on how to cut your own hair or what they think. I I do have some clippers I bought. I I think they'll be great. But I, if anyone has like, if there's anything I am not, you think I haven't thought of, or that. You wish you'd known when you cut your own hair. Please write and let me know. I would love the help. Now I have two corrections, real quick, before we get into the main show. We'll talk about the Bengals. We'll talk about the Jaguars. I got a massive topic today: redrafting the Giants. I, it's my magnum opus. It's like this incredible. I'm, 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 I'm hyping up the show a lot before I even get into it. But I, I'm proud of it. <laughs> I worked hard on it. it it's, a, it's very long, and I'm very proud. Uh, correction number one today. And and it's actually a correction of a correction, which is very shameful. Like, can I trust anything I say? Like, I say something confidently, and then I realize later, oh, that was wrong. Even though I was trying to, because I I I corrected my Raiders thing, and then I decided to add like three minutes of content to that, and in the three minutes, I got another thing wrong. So I said that the Tuck Rule game, which I referenced last episode, happened in the AFC Championship game between the Patriots and the Raiders. It was not the AFC title game. It was the 2002 divisional round of the AFC playoffs between the Patriots and the Raiders. That was when the tuck rule game took place. Now, correction number two. Some people wanted me to say this, and I, I, I might as well do it. I, I think part of why Marquise Hollywood Brown's nickname is cool is because it has a double meaning. But some people were upset I didn't mention that the reason why he is called Hollywood Brown. It's because he's from Hollywood, Florida. So I think it's it's both. It's that he's a, a star receiver who also is from Hollywood. So you call him Hollywood knowing that it's a double entendre. Is that even the right – a double meaning probably? Entendre might be like, you know, the of the sexual variety. It's horrible. I'm too tired for this. Um, anyway. Anyway. <laughs> oh, no. Don't unfollow me. Um <laughs> Let's jump into Monday uh, to Thursday night football. Not Monday, Thursday. On Thursday night football, the Cincinnati Bengals beat the Jacksonville Jaguars twenty-four to twenty-one. I gotta say, as a I am, I consider myself a massive fan of Cincinnati, Ohio. Like I, it's of the lower forty-eight states. I live in Hawaii now, but if I were ever to live somewhere in the lower forty-eight, I, I wouldn't. I'd probably go to Alaska if I were ever to leave Hawaii. If I, if I was a millionaire, for example, I'd buy a second house in, Hawaii, in Cincinnati. In, I love, love, love Cincinnati. I would make it my base of operations for like half the year. I, the summer there would be incredible. I like the winter in Cincinnati, too. I would go there for football games. I love Skyline Chili. I think it's beautiful. The Emerald City, it's clean. It's nice. I just was watching that game last night. It's a night game in Cincinnati. And I just wished I could have been there. Like you could there was this energy in the stadium. I love the city. I love the stadium. It's along the river. That's a special place on a Thursday night for a game. And I I just was watching going like, oh, man. Now there's also a moment I want to mention. It's not in my notes, but before halftime, the Bengals were backed up on their own like six inch yard line. And credit to the Jaguars, they didn't jump off sides. But the Bengals, I thought, had a really smart little coaching point I want to highlight. They called a hard count. And they're like, hot, hot, white 80s, hot, 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 like just trying to get the Jaguars to jump off sides. And the the genius of that is, so they end up getting a delay of game penalty for not snapping the ball. Now, the reason why that's so genius is it doesn't matter if you get a delay of game penalty. How far are they going to move the ball? Oh no, they move the ball back two inches from the six inch yard line to the you know, three inch yard line or the four inch yard It's like, who cares? I, I really like that. And I, you know, the Manning cast always talks about how getting a penalty on the goal line for an offense is horrible. And the defense goes, oh, who cares? Because you, you don't lose any ground. But it also, I've never seen it used the other way where the offense is backed up on their own goal line. And they're like, oh, we, we got nothing to lose. Let's just waste time. Let's just get multiple delay of game penalties. Try to get the Jaguars to jump off sides. Really, really intelligent football. And I, I had to shout out that because I was like, I was like, oh. Yeah, that's true. If you're backed up—I I wish I'd thought of that when I was playing quarterback because, like, yeah, if you're backed up—I I had a play where one time it was a low snap. I dropped it in the end zone, and a, guy, a defensive end was coming right off the edge, and I picked up the ball. I juked him, and I threw a—what a, a, a what do you call it? A, a wheel route to my running back out of the backfield, and it's so funny on film. You see the the coach—Skyline High School. The coach was, like, literally celebrating, and you see the whole sideline. They all raise their hands. They all start celebrating. And then they see me pick up the ball and throw for, like, a 45-yard gain. And the guys' hands go from up celebrating to on their heads, like, just horribly sad. But I I didn't even need all that drama if I'd known and had the foresight to think, hey, by the way, you're on the half-yard line. Who cares if you get a false start? Who cares if you get a delay game penalty? Where are they going to push you back? They have nowhere else to move you. So just screw it. Hot, 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 hot. Just take take the penalty. And maybe they jump off sides and you get five more yards and you get more room to run your offense. I think that's amazing. Okay, let's jump in. This will be – I always try to admit when I'm wrong. I I think it's a core value of mine. It's very, very important. It has made me a better fiancé. It's made my relationship better. It has made my career better in any aspect of life. I truly believe you have to have the humility to admit when you're wrong. And people often say, well, you're flip-flopping, you're this, you're that. No, 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 no. I th- I, in my opinion, I think it's mature to be able to say, hey, I thought one thing, and I was proven wrong with new evidence. And so I always try to make a point to share when I am wrong. And I was wrong about the Cincinnati Bengals. And it's very clear now, and it's clear enough that I have to admit it, so, through four be- games, the Bengals are three and one. And I predicted they would go four and 13 la- uh, this year. almost last year. I meant this year. And now, after four games already, the Bengals only need one more win to bust my prediction. And there- there's no way this Cincinnati Bengals team goes four and 13. It's just not going to happen. And-, and I actually. Based on what I've seen now through four weeks, I can't believe I thought that. I can't believe. I truly did believe. When I said it, I was convicted in what I believed. I thought the Bengals were going to go 4-13. and 13. And I, I, there's no way this team I've watched now, four games in a row, they're not going to lose 12 of their next 13 games and go 4-13. and 13. It's just not going to happen. They're, they're, they're too good. And another thing I was very wrong about with Cincinnati was Jamar Chase. When the Bengals drafted a wide receiver, Jamar Chase, number five overall. I thought, and this happened earlier this year. They drafted him. He's a rookie. And I thought, man, he's a great player. He's going to score a lot of points. He'll be fun to watch. I had no doubt Jamar Chase is going to be a star in the NFL. But I thought, you know what? He's not going to help them win football games because receivers, they don't don't win games. How many years did we watch Calvin Johnson lose? It didn't, he, Calvin Johnson was not enough to help his football team win. Larry Fitzgerald. uh, There's other examples. I can't think of them right now, but those are two that come to mind of great Hall of Fame receivers that could not help their team win. Well, eh, I was wrong about Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase has made a huge impact on the Cincinnati Bengals team. And it's making me, you know, I don't know because Calvin Johnson still always proved wrong. He's a Hall of Fame receiver who wasn't enough to help his football team win. What does that say about Jamar Chase? I don't know, but Jamar Chase is a big reason why the Bengals are three and one. You can't deny that. He had four touchdowns in the first three games this year, three long touchdowns, too. Like people, you have to understand, Jamar Chase is changing the game, he's creating points. It's one thing to finish off a drive. You get a two-yard touchdown catch. The team drives down the field. You're just the final cherry on top. That's not what Jamar Chase is. Jamar Chase is, like, making drives into touchdowns by himself. Multiple touchdowns longer than 30 yards. Very, very impressive to me. Week four against Jacksonville. He didn't have a touchdown against Jacksonville. But Jamar Chase had a really big catch. After halftime, the Bengals were down 14 to nothing. And he makes this big play down the sideline, a big catch. And it was the very first play of the Bengals' comeback. They're down 14 to nothing, and they came back and won. And this was the play that built the momentum for the Cincinnati Bengals to go on and win that game. And I just, it cannot be understated, the impact Jamar Chase is having on his football team. I've never seen a receiver do what he's doing. I've never seen a receiver be such a big difference maker like jamar chase is it's very like justin jefferson was fantastic last year as a rookie receiver out of lsu he didn't help the vikings win football games jamar chase might be the most impactful rookie receiver i've ever seen i'm blown away i'm astounded and what he's done deserves a lot of credit And and look it was very counterintuitive like i've never seen it happen before so when the bengals drafted a receiver i'm like come on like this can't be the thing like you need offensive linemen. you need defensive lineman you need a quarterback how can a receiver I watched Megatron fail and, and not help the Lions win for years but look wh- whoever had that idea in Cincinnati they were more right than me you know I, I and, and smarter than me I, they saw something I did not have the vision to ha- see happen and um well done by Cincinnati drafting him fantastic job by Jamar Chase he's fun to watch. Now Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow. If you told me that Joe Burrow can walk on water, I'd believe you. I, I really. This guy is changing Cincinnati. Cincinnati's a loser organization. I love the city. I love the people. They're passionate. They care. It's a great sports city. It's one of. It's. I'm not kidding. Of the lower 48 states that are not Alaska and Hawaii, Cincinnati is my favorite city in America. I love, love. Love Cincinnati. I've never been to Alaska. It's probably, other than Honolulu, Hawaii, Cincinnati's my favorite city in America. I love Cincinnati. I've never felt more welcomed and happy in a city like that. And even though it's a great city, they're not, they haven't been a great football team historically. Joe Burrow is changing things. He's rebuilding the Bengals and he's leading the way. I know that people realize he's good. People know Joe Burrow is this great young quarterback. But I still think people don't realize or understand that he's not just good. Joe Burrow is incredible. What Joe Burrow's done, by the way, you realize he like destroyed his knee nine months ago. <laughs> Less than a year ago, Joe Burrow destroyed his knee. Now I'm watching him run around and extend plays, and it feels, I know, medical science has come a long way, and he got top notch care. But you also have to credit Joe Burrow, like the work he clearly put into recovery and rehab. That's that's if there there's so many examples of Joe Burrow's work ethic, but that's another one that I think people overlook. They don't realize, oh, the the obvious work it took to rehab and recover the way Joe Burrow did to get back to where he is now. Where, yeah, he's not exactly what he was last year running around. He'll probably be better next year, but my goodness, I watched Joe Burrow that the throw to C.J. Zoma where. He's in, the, he's in the backfield. Joe Burrow points downfield, rolls left, you know, verse pivots, finds CJ downfield, down the left side of the field, and he, he just the way he's running around and extending plays and making throws on the run, and I just, I, I think Joe Burrow's like the next Aaron Rodgers, the way he throws the ball off platform, the way he's able to make all kinds of throws in a tight windows. The most impressive throw of the night, the, the throw that blew me away, by Joe Burrow against Jacksonville. There was a play week four. He threw a ball to Trenton Irwin for 25 yards, a back shoulder fade. And people see that throw and go, oh, nice throw, Joe. Great job. But people don't realize how crazy it is. They don't have the context to understand that Trenton Irwin is an undrafted rookie free agent receiver. He's like fourth or fifth on the depth chart. How does Joe Burrow have chemistry With Trenton Irwin, a rookie receiver out of Stanford who wasn't even drafted. Guy who barely plays at all. Look, if he has chemistry with Tyler Boyd or Jamar Chase or T. Higgins, absolutely. Totally makes sense. You expect that. But when did he find the time to develop chemistry with Trenton Irwin? A guy I'd never heard of. I am not ashamed to admit that. I'd never heard of Trenton Irwin before last night when I watched the Jaguars Bengals game. And, and not only have chemistry with Trent Irwin, enough chemistry to throw a perfect back shoulder fade to the guy. Either it shows an insane level of preparation by Joe Burrow, or it shows he's like Aaron Rodgers. He can just naturally make a tough throw like that and, and just do it without it. You know, Hey, he sees it in his mind and it happens either way. It's ridiculous. It's either pure talent Or an insane level of preparation. It's insane. Joel Burrow is an incredible young quarterback. And I think people don't even understand how monumentally impressive what he's doing is in the NFL. The Bengals receiving core is great. Tyler Boyd. He had this touchdown against the Steelers. I watched it the other day. I watched it yesterday. I watched the Steelers-Bengals game. He catches the ball for like a short gain. Breaks a bunch of tackles. Gets into the end zone. Like I love watching Tyler Boyd play. Jamar Chase, already covered him. T. Higgins is a guy with— Joe Burrow makes T. Higgins look incredible. And T. Higgins is a guy that he's out hurt, got a shoulder injury. He's a stud. I I, I want him to come back because I think they're not even at full strength. Like, the Bengals are not even fully healthy at the receiver position, and they're dominating. Tight end C.J. Uzoma had a great game against Jacksonville. Five catches, 95 yards, two touchdowns. That great play I talked about where Joe Burrow extended a play and rolled left, pointed downfield. Bengals running back Joe Mixon hit a minor ankle injury. He left the game early. Should be okay. Uh, Zach Wilson, the head coach of the Bengals, talked about that. He's probably fine. He's playing very well. But you got to credit him. Credit the Bengals offensive line. Oh my goodness, dude! I talked so much trash. I did. I mean, I can I own it, right? I remember saying, you know, who cares if you have Jamar Chase if Joe Burrow's getting sacked? It won't matter. I had a great line. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Uh, The offensive line for Cincinnati is run blocking incredibly well. They're opening big holes. They're making uh, Joe Mixon's life very easy. And they're doing a good job protecting Joe Burrow. I I just, they have exceeded my expectations a ton. I was wrong. I made a bad prediction. But I also, I can admit that I was wrong. When I see I'm wrong in my head, it's, it's very clear. Like this Bengals team is not bad. They're a very good team, in fact. Also, the Bengals' defensive line deserves credit. They've been really good. Sam Hubbard, Trey Hendrickson. Trey Hendrickson came in from New Orleans. Sam Hubbard's on a big contract. DJ Reader, Larry Oganjobi, BJ Hill got traded in from the Giants. That looks like a really good trade for the Bengals. Like they they fleeced the Giants there. Cam Sample's a rookie. Had a great career in college. He's a really good defensive end. Had a sack against Pittsburgh. There's so much depth on this defensive line for the Bengals. It's like, they just a guy gets tired or worn out, next man up, and then they, they get pressure. And they add pressure. I know it. If you look at the stat sheet, you're like, well, they didn't do very much to get pressure on Trevor Lawrence, the Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback. They, they had a ton of pressure on Big Ben. Big Ben's an idiot who holds on the ball way too long and just would not let a play die, would not check the ball down, would would not, you know, it just, uh, Big Ben is infuriating. And, look, the Bengals have made his, life, uh, made his life very difficult in week three. But if you look at the, the box score— you're like, well, the Bengals defensive line, they, they didn't have a single sack. The only sack was, uh, what's his name, Wilson, the linebacker. So uh, here's the thing. Trevor Lawrence was running around, was keeping plays alive, and he had to leave the pocket constantly because of the pressure that the Bengals defensive line got. And this Bengals defensive line is making a big impact. There was a play. They stopped Jacksonville on fourth and goal from the one-yard line, and that stop was the difference in the game. Cincinnati won by three points. If they give up a touchdown there on fourth and goal, ball game over. Shout out to this Bengals defense. They're great. I'm very impressed with them. And the defensive line. I knew they were good, but it's, I knew that Sam Hubbard was good. I knew that Trey Hendrickson was good. BJ Hill, Cam Sample, these guys are emerging and you're like, dude, they're so deep. It's crazy. Now Bengals linebacker, Logan Wilson, this guy is having an unbelievable stretch of games. In the last three games, Logan Wilson has 33 tackles, three interceptions, and a sack. A sack on Trevor Lawrence last night. Do you understand that Logan Wilson last year as a rookie in 12 games had 33 tackles? He's had that many tackles in three games this year. It's like, what? It's unbelievable. The dude is way, way better. And then finally, the Bengals coach... Zach Taylor, the—you know, I spell my name Z-A-C. Whenever I see Zach Taylor, how he spells his name, I go, ah. Puts a smile on my face. He played quarterback in college. I thought that Zach Taylor was on the hot seat this year. I made a video, like, the five coaches or whatever on the hot seat. He's done a great job, and his offense looks like the Rams, frankly. He came from the Rams. He was under Sean McVay. What I love that the Bengals are doing— their play action from under center, it's a new wrinkle. They kind of, they didn't add it against Jacksonville, but I saw them run, the, they, they, they were under center way more against Jacksonville. They had Joe Burrow running hard play action where you head fake it down, look like you're going to hand the ball, to the running back, then pop right up, and it's, it was beautiful. It was so effective. The play design is fantastic. I, uh, I've been very, very impressed with the Cincinnati Bengals. They're 3-1. They're having a great year. And I was very, very wrong about the Cincinnati Bengals. Okay, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars deserve some love. It would feel dishonest if I did not acknowledge the progress the Jacksonville Jaguars are making. This team is already better. Four games in, they're better now than they were during week one. And I saw a comment two days ago, or you know, whenever I covered the C.J. Henderson trade, you know, I'm so busy, I pull so many all-nighters, I don't remember, the days all blend together. Whenever I made that topic, I saw a comment that said, someone said, Urban Meyer is destroying the Jaguars. And I saw that comment, and it made me pause, I'm like, hmm. I had to reflect and wonder, am I being fair to Urban Meyer, the Jaguars' new head coach? Remember, Urban Meyer took over a terrible team, a team that lost 15 games in a row last year. He's also got a starting quarterback who's a rookie, Trevor Lawrence. Never played in the NFL before this year. And then on top of that, Urban Meyer's never coached in the NFL before this year. And I keep seeing people say, the Jaguars are 0-4. And then the weirdest one is they're like, you know, the Jaguars have lost 19 games in a row. And I mean, I guess that's like a, a noteworthy number. Sure. But remember, Urban Meyer wasn't there last year. Trevor Lawrence wasn't there last year. Urban Meyer hasn't lost 19 games in a row. Like you see on Instagram, people are posting a picture of Urban Meyer and saying like, you know, the caption, the Jaguars have lost 19 games in a row, insinuating that Urban Meyer was part of that. No, don't blame Urban Meyer for the sins of the past. He didn't build this team. He didn't lose all his games last year. He's 0-4. And really, I think he's 0-2 in games that were competitive. You know, some games the Jaguars are going to play, they're not going to have a real shot because they're rebuilding. And I I judge the Jaguars on how they do against other teams who are in a situation like them that are also rebuilding. When people criticize the Jaguars for being 0-4, I think they're being too focused on the results and not paying enough attention to the context of what's actually going on in Jacksonville. You realize the Jaguars had a fourth-quarter lead over a pretty good Bengals team last night. To me, that's progress. Trevor Lawrence is getting better. And last night, Trevor Lawrence had his best game of his NFL career. He's only four games in, but 17 for 24, 204 passing yards. He made good decisions. And Trevor Lawrence gave his team a chance to win that game last night. They get that fourth and goal, they win! (laughs) <laughs> there was a fourth and goal in the first half. And, and I don't, we don't need to debate the decision-making, but my point is Trevor Lawrence did enough to win, to beat a good Cincinnati team. And most of his incompletions, by the way, were throwaways where in the first couple weeks of the year, he was forcing throws into coverage and clearly he's still learning, but he's learning and getting better. Trevor's starting to see the field better. He's learning what throws you can and should pull the trigger on at the NFL level. And he also moves incredibly well. Like the one thing I don't think I've ever given enough credit to, you watched it in college. I remember he had a big run. Uh, I mean, I, I just I can't remember which college football playoff game, but there's multiple games where he like Trevor had a big long touchdown run, and it was inc- really impressive. I think it was against LSU, maybe Oklahoma. I don't I don't remember this stuff. It's it's all jumbled together now. But Trevor Lawrence had a touchdown run where it was sweet. He made Bengals defensive end Sam Hubbard. Looks silly. He made a miss. He just juked him out on the goal line, scored a touchdown. Now, I said two things that were, like, two key foundational things in my prediction for the Jacksonville Jaguars this year. I said the number one key to this season for the Jaguars is Urban Meyer's ability to develop young players. Can he connect with young players? Can he develop NFL players? Check. He's doing that. There's too many guys making progress and starting to make plays and stepping up for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm like, ah, okay, they're making progress. And then the second thing I said was that the Jaguars are rebuilding. I said, let's judge the Jaguars on games against other teams that are rebuilding. When the, if the Jaguars play the Rams tomorrow and get destroyed, <laughs> of course that's going to happen. You can't punish them and criticize them for losing a game to one of the NFL's best teams. So I I look at the Jaguar schedule and I did this a long time ago. There were five games going into this year against other teams that are also rebuilding week one at Houston, week four at Cincinnati, week 12 against Atlanta, week 15, Houston again, and week 16 at the New York Jets. We're two games into those five really meaningful, important games for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Here's the progress report. Week one, the Jaguars lost to a veteran Houston team. David Coley's is their head coach. Love him or hate him. He's been in the, in the NFL for years. Of course, he's got a leg up on how the NFL works over Urban Meyer. They've got a bunch of veterans. Brandon Cooks, Tyrod Taylor. I predicted that Houston was going to beat Jacksonville because it was unrealistic to expect them to, in their first ever NFL game, beat a really experienced football team. David Culley's never been a head coach in the NFL. Houston Texans head coach, but he's been an NFL head coach, uh, an NFL assistant in the NFL for years. NFL, I said that too many times in that sentence. That's like I said NFL like twenty thousand times in that sentence. Jesus Christ, figure it out. <laughs> um, yeah. When you're it's experience against youth and rookies, rookie coach, rookie quarterback against a an experienced NFL coach and experienced NFL quarterback. Of course, the Jaguars lost week one to Houston. I predicted that. Not a surprise. Not a shock. Not a big deal to me. Of course they did. Then week four, Cincinnati. The Bengals are better than I expected. And yet, huh, it was still competitive. The Jaguars kept it close. In fact, the Jaguars, and you can be mad. Like some people are going to say, well, the Jaguars blew a fourth quarter lead. No, they didn't. It was impressive that they had a fourth quarter lead at all. Give the Bengals some respect. They're three and one. They're having a great year. The fact that this Jaguars team that was one in fifteen last year had a fourth quarter lead, and by the way, it wasn't like they had the lead and lost it; it was it was back and forth. They scored, the Bengals scored, then the you know, I just I don't know. Hey, <laughs> in fact, you know, if they get it on fourth down, if they can stop the Bengals, then the Bengals had a great drive where the Bengals had the ball end of the fourth quarter, five minutes and thirty three seconds left, and they didn't give the ball back. So, like, you can't. Come on, that's a it's I don't know. So, progress report is hey, week four, Cincinnati was competitive. Week one, they lost a game I thought they should have lost. You know what I really saw last night? The Jaguars are probably going to beat the Jets week 16. Because going into the year, the question was how quickly can Urban Meyer learn how things work in the NFL? The NFL and college are very, very different. And all the coaches that Urban Meyer is competing against have spent years. In the NFL, they know how things work. They're not learning how stuff works. They're preparing. It's a different process. But Urban Meyer's not an idiot. You don't win multiple national titles in college if you're a bad coach, especially not at both Florida and Ohio State. I know they're blue bloods, but to win national titles at multiple programs is impressive. I, I don't care who you are. You can't argue that person's a bad coach. And so give Urban Meyer some credit. Like he can figure this out. He's already making progress. Now some interesting stuff has happened in Jacksonville. They just traded away their 2020 first round pick CJ Henderson. Although remember Urban Meyer didn't draft CJ Henderson. He inherited him and is trying to make it work and did try to make it work. And the more I learn about that trade and about CJ Henderson, the more it sounds like CJ was having problems off the field and like, Florida geographically being there near friends and family might've been the problem. Like no matter what you do, urban Meyer was not going to make that work. I think with CJ Henderson, so to get a tight end in that trade that is going to help develop your young quarterback, Trevor Lawrence and make big plays catching the ball. That's a great try. The more I think about that trade, the more I'm like, man, I, I made it sound like, and I did. I even predicted like this is going to be the CJ Henderson trade. And the, the Panthers are going to win the trade. Actually, I think the Panthers are saying we have a young we, Tommy Tremble, a tight end we like, Dan Arnold we, is solid, but let's take a shot, roll the dice on a guy, C.J. Henderson, who's got clearly a lot of potential, and see if we can help his off-the-heeled issues and make it work. We, we fix Sam Darnold, can we fix C.J. Henderson? But Urban Meyer realized, I, I'm not going to be able to fix C.J. Henderson because of what's around him in Florida. Let's get something positive out of this interaction and get a tight end who's going to help our young quarterback. I think the trade was actually a home run for Jacksonville, and no one's going to tell you that. It's it's so unpopular to trade away a first-round pick, but you have to give some respect to off-the-field issues and context. I mean, the whole theme of this episode apparently is context, context, context. But Urban Meyer inherited a difficult situation with C.J. Henderson and turned it into something positive, at least. That deserves praise, in my opinion. Now, there were some concerns early on. Remember, Urban Meyer made some rookie mistakes. He made the NFLPA mad. He traded Gardner Minshew away after giving him a ton of snaps. I thought that was kind of weird and bizarre. I, I wondered if Gardner Minshew, like, quietly, behind the scenes, asked for a trade and said, I'm not happy here. I I want a chance where I can compete. And Urban Meyer's like, I'm not going to keep a disgruntled quarterback on my roster. We got C.J. Bethard, who's a veteran. Let's just let C.J. Bethard mentor Trevor Lawrence. And I'm sure Gardner, who wanted to play and was, you know, kind of, what's the word, like angsting for attention and playing time, was unhelpful to the organization. Now, there were some reports that, you know, the, it could have been some red flags. Apparently Urban Meyer was flying off the handle, taking over drills, and had some disgruntled employees. I I don't know. You know what I look at is the, there's a great video of Urban Meyer saying hi to Joe Burrow before the game. Urban Meyer looks like a nice human being. I, I've always envisioned him like a car salesman, the Christian guy, the uh, southern, the uh, southern charm, and let me talk about Jesus, and I'm going to develop you, young man. But he actually seems like a, I mean, like a stern, wise, intelligent. Car. I don't know. I, I just, I always had a, a view of Urban Meyer through Tim Tebow's eyes, not through my own. I read, I read about him in Tim Tebow's book, and the more I, I develop my own opinion of Urban Meyer, the more I go, huh, this guy's not bad. This guy is actually growing on me. I also wish that Travis Etienne hadn't gotten hurt. It looks like now, because he's hurt, people are going to go, oh, bad pick, no impact, why'd you draft Travis Etienne? But to me, the pick actually made a little bit of sense. I went, well, you, you got a guy, Travis Etienne, who can play running back, play receiver, you can put him in the backfield, he can line up out wide. He's like Curtis Samuel, who Urban Meyer had at Ohio State, or Percy Harvin, who... Urban Meyer had it, Florida. I mean, Percy Harvin had concussion problems But Percy Harvin in the NFL. Did you watch what he did that year he played in Seattle? They won a Super Bowl, and Percy Harvin was like this unnecessary cherry on top. He was making play after play after play. And Urban Meyer said, I want a Percy Harvin. I'm going to make Travis Etienne into Percy Harvin. I'm gonna say hey, he's a great receiver. We'll teach him how to play receiver. We'll put him all over the field. We'll make plays. It's it's very disappointing that Travis Etienne got injured because now it's just a negative. And there was never really an opportunity for that pick because of the injury there Was never an opportunity for Urban Meyer to be proven right. It's like, oh man, and did the general manager? I, I don't actually, I, I couldn't tell you the name of the general manager in Jacksonville. Is it Urban Meyer? Is there a guy? I should know that. I apologize for not knowing that, but I've been so focused on Urban Meyer, I've, I've totally overlooked that side. And it's funny, I did a whole topic about how we forget about the general manager because the coach is so forward, you know, front facing. But, um, again, it Trevor looked really good against the Bengals. Trevor Lawrence is developing. I believe Trevor Lawrence is going to be good. I was skeptical. I shared. I try to be devil's advocate like I always do. You can make an argument for either side, and I always try to share both sides of everything. But this game, the Bengals game, made me a believer in Trevor Lawrence. I've watched every game he's played. And he's, he's going to figure it out. Trevor's making progress very, very quickly. The, the stuff he screwed up in the first couple weeks, he didn't make those mistakes in week four on Thursday Night Football. And that's on a short week. So he's learning very quickly and adjusting to the NFL game quite quickly. I'm impressed with that from Trevor Lawrence. That's a good sign. So you can hate on Urban Meyer if you want to, but I ask that you be fair to Urban Meyer. Do not ignore context. He inherited a bad football team. And they're actually growing and showing signs of progress. And to not acknowledge that I think is intellectually dishonest I just I'm not down for that I don't like when people spin stuff to make it fit their narrative I'm like I'm not going to be that guy I I can acknowledge that Urban's doing some good stuff and personally I'm starting to think it's going to work with him and Trevor remember you know the the one criticism of Trevor Lawrence had and criticism remember devil's advocate I'm trying to always say like is there any bear is there any little thing I can poke here that could be true and and maybe is is a problem but I always was worried, you know, Trevor Lawrence has never lost a game. I said he hadn't really lost in high school, hadn't really lost in college. Urban Meyer's never lost. Like, has Urban Meyer ever been 0-4 in his career? I don't think so. And I was worried, huh, you know, they've never lost. Are they going to handle losing? First of all, it seems like they're handling losing in a mature, healthy way. They're not getting—so far, does Trevor Lawrence seem discouraged and, like, downtrodden and ready to give up? No. He's fighting hard. He's getting better. He had his team in that game. He did enough— to put his team in a position to win. If his defense gets a stop in the fourth quarter, if they convert a fourth and goal, like that was a winnable game the Jaguars almost got last night. And so you can say, well, Trevor's never lost like this. But also, isn't that, the, on the flip side of that, it's a good thing too because Trevor Lawrence, <laughs> Trevor's always figured it out. Urban Meyer's always made it work. And so creative, smart, hardworking people tend to succeed that's what urban meyer is that's what trevor lawrence is and they're they're, make, they're getting better so I, I just think that um hate on urban meyer if you want but don't ignore context it drives me nuts let's be fair to urban meyer and the jacksonville jaguars guys my name is zach Schomler. i'm gonna take a short break i have to because i already recorded the rest of the show and uh i i did it stuff out of order so it is 8:35 a.m here in hawaii this will come out. It's already 2 o'clock on the East Coast. Gosh, man. Another all-nighter. Um, I, dude, I, I'm having a good time. I, I love you. I appreciate you. Uh, t- I, I guess I'll see you in a moment because I'm going to take a break and come back, and you'll hear what I already recorded. Coming up on the show, I got a topic called the rebuilding the New York Giants. It's a topic I worked very hard on, put a lot of thought and effort into. I hope you enjoy it. I'm very proud of it. We're also going to talk about Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. They, I'm going to compare Brady and Belichick to a former The One driver and his team. and It's a really good comparison. There's some insight there I think a lot of people haven't considered with that. Uh, we also got a really juicy bit of information about a Tom Brady quote that is outstanding information and really fun to talk about. So my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. Enjoy that stuff coming up. Have a, have a great day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go put this out, but I'll see you in a moment because, uh, again, in the order I recorded this. My name is Zach Shomler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. And, and, by the way, it's confusing to record stuff out of work. I'm as confused as you are, but there's, like, another two hours of the show. Enjoy it. I'll be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Um, I want to share something on this segment, there's always something, right? There's always one thing that goes wrong or is unpredictable during this episode. I want to add a layer of tension to this segment. Uh, I, I some kind of bug got into the studio right before I started recording. It's like a looks like an earwig and a beetle had a baby. And I have a lot of stuff that I'm really excited to talk about during this segment, and I'm I'm just like praying. My fear is that it either will make an appearance on me or in front of me and terrify me, and I will make a crazy, like, embarrassing sound. Or it'll get in the lights and, like, fly around and just mess up the lighting. Or even worse it would be, imagine if it walked across the camera. Uh, and then YouTube viewers would be like, that's a bug. And I would maybe I would notice it. I don't know. So uh, let me just tell you, I'm going to record for, like, an hour in a row. Just bam, bam, got a lot of stuff to say. And I, I have to let you in on the fact that somewhere in this room, it, I, I tried to get it. It ran away is some crazy tropical bug that I, I think is a beetle. I'm hoping is not an earwig, which are like the worst creatures known to man. Um, that's not true. There's got to be way worse creatures than the worst one is the spider in Australia that'll swim with you and then is also poisonous and will kill you. Australia, like my fiance talked about moving to Australia one time. I'm like, never happening. The bugs, I, I can barely handle the bugs in Hawaii. It's like the only thing I don't like about here. I'm like, I can't. I'm not doing Australia Anyway, letting you know, that could happen at some point. It probably won't. It's probably going to be scared it hears me. I think, they, I think bugs can hear. So that's a good question. I'm so sorry to go on this rant, but can bugs hear? Does anyone, anyone know the answer to that? Should I Google that? I'm going to Google that. I, <laughs> well, how did I end up here? I, I, I was trying to just let you in on a potential hiccup it could run into. Can bugs hear? Can bugs hear sound? No. No. Oh, 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 yes, yes. So so not only, this is on Google, which means it's probably true, right? I don't know. Not only do insects hear, but they may actually be more sensitive than other animals to sound vibrations. Insects sense and interpret sounds in order to communicate with other insects, blah, 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 uh, and then even listen to sounds of predators in order to avoid being eaten by them. So I hope this bug thinks I'm going to eat it, and therefore it hides the entire recording process. The worst thing would be if it appeared behind me and I couldn't see it, Imagine if it just slowly, ever so slowly, got closer and closer to me. (gasps) I don't want to see that. I don't don't even want to think about that. Um, All right. Let's jump in. Uh, I want to let you in on something. I have a new goal in my life. I have a new goal in my life that I did not ever think would be something I would want to do. Until the other day I saw on Twitter, Stephen A. Smith said that, hey... The debate chair is open. And uh, he left an open invitation for people to come on and do first take with him. And I would love to sit in that chair. I would love to be on the show. And I don't know the right way to get onto the show. Like, I don't know what I need to do or what I need to say. Uh, I don't know what strategy I should take on. Uh, I, I almost, you know, choked my words there. And I don't, this is the reason why. I don't love the TV world is that you have to prove yourself to a producer or like some on YouTube. Guess what? The audience can decide if if your content is good. People will like it and, and follow it and watch it on TV and in movies and, and any kind of stuff like that. You have to have some boss decide that person's good enough to come on the show. So I don't know if I will pass that qualification. I will say I have worked with ESPN before I've, I've worked for ESPN. I have, I've, I've met, Kirk Street. I did College Game Day, I've met Yogi Roth, I've met, uh, all, kinds of, I've, I've met all kinds of broadcasting people throughout the world. Uh, I have never broadcasted with them. Of course, I was a, a cameraman, right? I was a lowly cameraman who worked my way up the ladder and, hey, here I am in front of a camera the, instead of behind it. Um, but I, I will say, I, I think Stephen A. Smith and I, so my, my first thought when I, when I hear that he has an open invitation to the show is, is actually, I think we'd be a really weirdly good pair together. He is very loud, and I say this jokingly, crazy, and, and I, I also am passionate about what I talk about. I think he's more performer. I'm a little more analyst, a little more detailed. He does know basketball much better than I do. I know football. I know way better than Stephen I Smith knows football, um, but I think we'd actually make a very good episode together because him and I complement each other very well, and I, you know, I, I just want to let people know, if you think that sounds fun, me on... ESPN's first take. And maybe you've never heard of me before. Maybe you're like, I saw this guy made a video about Stephen A. Smith. Huh? Well, Hey, I think it'd be fun to go on there and debate with him. I really want to debate with him. And I I think it would, ch- I would challenge him because he likes to yell over people. And I'm like, dude, you can yell all you want. I'll wait till you're done screaming and we can have a real conversation. I think it'd be very exciting and fun. And I, I don't know what the right, again, I don't know the right approach because maybe what it takes to get a producer to say yes to me is to create controversy. Because the thing that they – the one thing that TV producers and people on ESPN, the the language they speak is the language of views uh, views and watchers. And if they think that me coming on means they're going to get a lot of people to watch the show, then I'll make it on. So here's what I ask. If you think that sounds like a good idea, go harass Stephen A. Smith on Twitter and be as – I don't know. I don't want to like like send an angry mob after him. Certainly, he has a way bigger audience than me. Um, but I think it'd be, I think I would actually challenge him a lot intellectually and say, Stephen, that's that's a bad idea. That's silly. He can scream and be, do theater. I will wait uh, patiently till he's done with his diatribe. And uh, if you want that to happen, you need to flood his Twitter. One tweet is not enough. You need to send ten to like twenty tweets. Literally flood. Every, if he posts a tweet on Twitter, you have to flood the replies with, get Zach Schomler on ESPN's first take. And I want to go on. I think it'd be fun. Hey, comment on Instagram stuff, too. It's just I've lived a—I've already been way more successful than I ever thought I would be. I live in Hawaii. I have a, a job doing what I love, truly. And that, to me, I've already made it. in my like I, 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 I'm not that well off. but I love my life. I love my career. If it never gets better from here, if I always live in a tiny apartment recording with a weird background that's kind of ugly, I will be happy because I I love what I do every day. Uh, And I'm not really attached to, I don't need to go on first take to be like, finally, validation. I just think it'd be fun to have a conversation with Stephen A. Smith. I I really think that uh, my ability to challenge him and have conversation with him would be very, very fascinating. And I just honestly, uh, humbly, uh, and, like, I think the some part of me says I should tell the world, I'm, I'm going to go make him look silly. I'm going to embarrass Stephen A. Smith. Maybe that's the promo. They take that soundbite and promote it that way. But I also don't know that that's right because I, th- I actually think we would have a really fun intellectual conversation, and I could challenge his beliefs and views. And um, I just – I really would appreciate that. You know, early on during my broadcasting career, I, I looked at Stephen A. Smith and, and copied what he was doing. I used to say stuff because I thought it would make people angry. And I used to really pick a side. And strong opinion sports is a very provocative name for my show. And I realized I don't want to be like Stephen A. Smith, right? I actually decided that sometimes there is no right answer. Like you sometimes the the real strong answer you can or the real strong thing you can say is that there is no right answer. And, and uh, topics are way more nuanced than people realize. When you, so a trade happens, sometimes there's a winner to a trade, and it's one team is uh, you know, a, buff- a buffoon and really stupid, and one team got a, a deal where they fleeced the other team. But sometimes both teams wins. And, and I, I've really tried to adapt my broadcasting style to being a lot more objective and fair and not necessarily just picking a side, but sometimes saying, hey, there is no clear black and white answer here. So- I just really, truly believe that I would have a good time, you know, having a conversation on, on television, on camera with Stephen A. Smith. Uh, it would be an honor to meet him. Uh, my, I think they record the show in Newark. I've actually never watched First Take, but you see the clips everywhere. And I see his comments often in, in uh, text form on Instagram, like, Stephen A. Smith said blank and insert any ridiculous statement. And I'm like, oh, he doesn't do any research. Like, it drives me nuts. Um but my, my fiance has never been to New York. I would love to go back to New York. I've been there one time. It's an amazing city. Uh, I'll pay for myself to go. But hey, if anybody out there, if you ne- if you don't ask, the answer is always no. And I figured I should put this out to the world and try to make it happen. I would love to go on First Take and debate Stephen A. Smith. I talked about that way longer than I thought I would. But I it, between Bugs and Stephen A. Smith, we're like already, this is going really well. And I should let people know uh, that this episode 391 is going to open with me talking about the Cincinnati Bengals and the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Bengals beat the Jaguars. I haven't watched the game yet, though. Uh, I'm trying. I, I don't know if you know. Downstairs, the apartment below me is being renovated, and so basically, I cannot record between the hours of 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And and this, you know, this morning I woke up. I was like, I'm going to record an episode, preview the Bengals game, and <laughs> the jackhammer started at 6:45, and I'm like, well. So I actually, I used to feel bad for my neighbors that maybe recording this late at night, it's 1247 a.m., you know, 47 minutes after midnight. Maybe that's bad. And then I realized, well, I'll screw it, actually, because I actually have no other choice. I have to record after they finish drilling into the walls of our apart, uh, the apartment downstairs. So anyway, um, I'm recording this before I watch the Bengals game. So I hope you enjoyed what I said about the Bengals. I don't know what I'm going to say about the Bengals yet, although tentatively – I'll say it looks like I was very wrong. I and mean, they already, you know, got to, uh, they're like one, I think I predicted them to go to four and 13. They're already at three and one. So uh, the Bengals, clearly I got that wrong. They're not going to lose 12 of the next 13 games. Let's move on. I want to talk about the New York Giants. In December, 2017, a crime was committed against New York Giant fans. And that is because in December, 2017, the Giants hired a new general manager, Dave, Gettleman and in the NFL coaches get constantly attacked and part of that is because they're more visible like you you see the coach on the sideline every week in interviews often an NFL general manager is a little more invisible behind the scenes and the Giants have already had one coach take a fall for Dave Gettleman one guy got burned already they fired Pat Shermer took the fall last time during the Dave Gettleman era I'm not saying that Pat Shermer didn't deserve to get fired. And and I also will say I'm very skeptical of the Giants' new head coach, Joe Judge, the current guy they have. He's relatively new. He's, you know, in his second year. I'm worried he's going to fail as well. But also, remember, Dave Gettleman hired Pat Shermer. He hired Joe Judge. And sometimes I wonder, do people realize that everything the Giants general manager, Dave Gettleman, has done has led to them losing? They've been rebuilding for four years years, they already had one coach take the fall for the bad decisions Dave Gettleman has made. He was hired in December 2017. Well, in 2018, his first year, the Giants went 5-11. and Year two, 2019, the Giants went 4-12. and 2020, last year, they went 6-10. and And now in 2021, they're losing again. And I fundamentally disagree with Dave Gettleman's philosophy on how to build a football team. I look at all the draft picks he's made. And look, I'm not saying I would have nailed every pick that Dave Gettleman made. And that's crazy. It's it's very egotistical to say that even the best general manager in the NFL will not draft at 100% accuracy. But I do believe I could have done a better job at drafting than Dave Gettleman. And I guess that's a little egotistical too. But I say that because Dave's philosophy is awful here's the point of this topic. Here's where I'm going with all this. I want to highlight all the missed opportunities the Giants uh, have have missed out on because they've drafted so, so badly. So call me Marty McFly. We're going to pretend that we can time travel and go back and fix everything because I think I like to live in the fantasy world and and imagine what if I could blank? What if I could time travel? What if I I knew the future because I, I already have lived it And can go back and make the right decisions that Dave Gettleman already screwed up. So things went wrong from the very first draft pick Dave Gettleman made. He took Saquon Barkley, a running back, number two overall with his very first pick for the Giants in 2018. And let me be very, very clear. Saquon Barkley is an outstanding running back. Here's the problem, though. How good is a running back without an offensive line? I'll tell you this. I I don't care... How talented your running back is, without people blocking for him, he's not going to do anything. You never, ever, ever draft a running back that high in the NFL draft. This is where my philosophy already begins to disagree with Dave, and I feel like I can just call him Dave. Maybe I'll call him Mr. Dave. I'd love to interview him, by the way. I would love to interview Mr. Dave Gettleman, and and I'd be respectful and kind, but I would challenge him. Why do you? What's your like? Because his philosophy needs to be explained. Because I, I certainly do not understand his approach and what he's done. It seems to me like Mr. Dave does not value the offensive line. If you need proof of that, look at the current Giants roster. It's, <laughs> it's embarrassing. And if I could go back in time, I would have the Giants drafting offensive guard Quinton Nelson number two overall in 2018 a guard out of Notre Dame, a perennial pro bowler, a great leader. He would be the centerpiece of my offensive line. I'm going to build around Quinton Nelson on the offensive line. And by the way, you can get a quality running back later in the draft. I remember when the Giants won the Super Bowl in 2007. It was unbelievable. It was really fun. It was a, I wish I'd been a broadcaster back then. It would have been so cool to cover that game. And back in 2007, the leading rushers for the New York Giants were Brandon Jacobs, a fourth round pick. Derek Ward, a seventh-round pick. And this guy's name is spelled weird. D-R-O-U-G-H-N-S. I, Ruben either drowns or drones. I don't know how you say his last name. He was a third-round pick. And then Ahmad Bradshaw, the leading leading rusher in the Super Bowl when they beat the Patriots, the undefeated New England Patriots, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick. The leading rusher in that Super Bowl for them, Ahmad Bradshaw, was a seventh-round pick. You do not need to draft a running back, number two overall, For your running back to make an impact. By the way, Nick Chubb was available in the second round. 34th overall when they drafted Will Hernandez. They could have gotten Nick Chubb a running back instead. By the way, Nick Chubb is now a star running back in Cleveland. And he was taken 35th overall. One pick after the Giants drafted in the second round of 2018. So again, I would take offensive guard Quinton Nelson number two overall instead of Saquon Barkley. Then in the second round of the draft in 2018, if I could time travel, I would draft running back Nick Chubb instead of. Offensive guard, Will Hernandez. And it's kind of funny. Like I actually think Dave Gettleman had the right idea here. You need to fix the offensive line. You need to draft a running back. Him and I just disagree on the value of offensive linemen. Because I would prioritize the offensive line. The O-line is more important to be talented than your running back. Nick Chubb is good enough. Saquon Barkley is incredible, yes. But the difference between Nick Chubb and (laughs) Saquon Barkley and the gap between... Will Hernandez and Quinton Nelson is the gap between the two offensive linemen I just mentioned are way bigger. Quinton Nelson is the guy I would pick, and then I'd get another quality running back in the second round. It is actually harder to find a guard like Quinton Nelson than it is to find a running back who can contribute and get a lot of yards. Now, again, if I could time travel in 2018, I would double down on the offensive line. I would take left tackle Orlando Brown in the third round instead of they draft defensive tackle BJ Hill, number 69 overall. Nice. B.J. Hill got traded to the Bengals. He's doing well in Cincinnati, but he actually never really became what they were hoping he would in New York. By the way, in the fourth round of 2018, Mr. Dave wasted a draft pick in the fourth round. Number 108 overall, he drafted quarterback Kyle Lauletta, who just did nothing. It It was a wasted pick. And... Instead, I would draft, if you need another running back, I would get a one-two punch. I would draft Nick Chubb in the second round and then Chase Edmonds in the fourth round, the running back who is now the starter in Arizona. See, you don't need a guy number two overall to get a really good running back. I just listed two starters that were drafted in the second round and then one guy, sorry, two starters. One guy drafted in the second round, one guy drafted in the fourth round. Notice they didn't need to be a top five pick to be a starter in the NFL and do really well at running back. Part of why Eli Manning struggled at the end of his career is because he didn't have good enough players around him. And I, I just think if, if it's me, and by the way, every player I'm mentioning is someone that the Giants did pass on. Everybody I, I'm mentioning, I would have drafted this guy here. It's because he was drafted after that pick. Remember, in 2018, the Giants passed on guard Quinton Nelson, Nick Chubb, a left tackle Orlando Brown, who's a pro bowler now. He's a starter for the Kansas City Chiefs, and running back Chase Edmonds. In 2018, the Giants drafted quarterback Daniel Jones, number six overall. Again, I would, I would change this pick. Uh, I remember liking the pick at the time. And if I could time travel, I would not draft Daniel Jones, number six overall. Here, here's the philosophy. It's actually less that I hate Daniel Jones because I, I don't. I actually, I remember early on being impatient with him. I've watched him play this year. Daniel Jones is not awful this year. Here, here's the, the change in my thought, though. is that Instead of blaming Eli Manning and replacing him at quarterback, I would actually make a ballsy move and double down and say, hey, I think Eli can play if I get him some help. I got him two running backs and an offensive line last year. Number six overall, I'm drafting, instead of Daniel Jones, for Eli's probably final year in Newark, I'm drafting a tight end TJ Hawkinson out of Iowa. And you could also get uh, Noah Fant. uh, Noah Fant went 18 overall to Denver. Either one, I think TJ Hawkinson would have been more impactful from day one, where Noah Fant is a guy that I think is having a breakout year this year. But I think early on... TJ was more ready for the NFL than Noah Fant was. But Eli is an older quarterback. Get him some help. Get him someone who can catch the ball over the middle, down the seam. Eli's arm, maybe it's getting older. He's up there in age, and maybe what you want to do with Eli Manning is get him someone who can catch the ball over the middle. That's TJ Hawkins, and he can make big plays. And remember, this is not entirely fair to Dave Gettleman because, remember, I time traveled. I have the luxury of knowing how things are going to work out. So TJ Hawkinson is now a Pro Bowl tight end. He was drafted number eight overall by Detroit. Two picks after the Giants drafted Daniel Jones. Now in 2019, remember the Giants actually had three first round picks. And one of them was an absolute bust. One of them was solid. Uh, Number 17 overall, they drafted a defensive lineman, Dexter Lawrence. Not a bad pick. I like the idea to invest in your defensive line. That's a good thought process. He's still a starter today. Dexter Lawrence, not a bad draft pick. Have to, you know, to be fair to Mr. Dave. But in my mind, I look at what I have. I have an aging quarterback, Eli Manning. I need to support Eli Manning. So instead of drafting Dexter Lawrence, I would actually draft receiver DK Metcalf out of Ole Miss. The guy he went to Eli Manning's alma mater. Because in my opinion, before you push Eli Manning out of the league, you have to try giving him help first. And you owe here's what in my opinion you owe Eli Manning. He won you two Super Bowls. The media is attacking, wants him to retire early. I'm going to double, triple, and quadruple down on Eli Manning. Before he gets kicked out of the league, I'm going to make sure I give him every opportunity to succeed first. I just think that's what you do when a guy has sacrificed so much for your franchise. And I know that's sentimental, but I, I truly believe that part of why Eli wasn't as good at the end of his career is because simply he didn't have a lot of help around it. Number 30 overall, Mr. Dave drafted in the 2019 NFL Draft a corner out of Georgia, DeAndre Baker. Again, Dave was trying to fix his defense. That's a, a good thought process. But DeAndre Baker was a total bust. He did not work in the NFL. In fact, right now he is the, he's a third-string corner in Kansas City. Like Literally three or four people would have to get injured before DeAndre Baker would ever get on the field. That's a former first-round pick who is a backup of a backup of a backup now for Kansas City. And again, instead of drafting DeAndre Baker, I'd quadruple down on Eli Manning. I would draft an offensive lineman. This is his real name, by the way. Elgton Jenkins. E-L-G-T-O-N. Elgton. And Elgton Jenkins, it's like Elg, like, it's, it's a weird, it's like Elk, but with a G. Elgton. He was drafted in the second round by Green Bay. He's now a Pro Bowler. He can play anywhere, by the way. He played center in college at Mississippi State. Right now, this year, in 2021, he's playing left tackle for the Green Bay Packers. Center, guard, left tackle. He's filling in for David Bakhtiari. He's on the uh, physically unable to perform list. N- normally, you have Eldon Jenkins playing left guard. Uh, put him wherever you want. He, I want his—he's a Pro Bowl offensive lineman. He can play. I would draft Eldon Jenkins with a 30th overall pick. Again, support Eli Manning. And I do realize that all of my draft picks are on the offensive side of the ball so far. And I, I have no idea who's playing defense for this Giants team that I've, I've built so far in this little exercise. But it's not like Mr. Dave's picks helped either. DeAndre Baker did not make the Giants defense better, so who cares? Let me just build around Eli Manning, give him support at the end of the year. I know this. My team would be more fun to watch than the team that Dave Gettleman put together in 2019. So you have Eli Manning throwing to TJ Hawkinson at tight end, DK Metcalf at receiver, three good linemen, Quinton Nelson, the leader at guard, Elton Jenkins on the other side, Orlando Brown at left tackle, left tackle, right tackle, who cares? Eventually you would want to make him your left tackle because he's a franchise player. You got two good running backs, Nick Chubb and Chase Edmonds. In my opinion, again, you owe Eli Manning to go all in and give him some support in his final year rather than what they did, which was get rid of people, not drafting people that would help him, get him bad players that didn't make him better. I'll tell you what, TJ Hawkins would have made Eli Manning better at the end of his career. So after I win the Super Bowl in 2019, uh, and that's how I project things would go, because here, here's a problem with my exercise, LOL. You know, I I, uh, I said LOL out loud. Did you hear that? I did. That's kind of weird. Um, Eli Manning is going to retire after he wins the Super Bowl in 2019, because I've built now such a good team around him. So he retires on top, and now we're running into a problem, because my picks have been so good. <laughs> Uh, that I've now changed the future. I cannot predict the future because I went back in time, I made different moves, and now my team's really good. So I I can walk away standing ovation, I can retire on top, just like Eli Manning. But let's keep it going. I want to keep pointing out Mr. Dave's failures as the Giants general manager, because that's really what this topic is all about. Eli Manning goes out on top, he retires in 2019, end of the year. So now I'm the Giants general manager, I need a quarterback. And in real life, You know, in reality, number four overall in 2020, the Giants drafted left tackle Andrew Thomas. And by the way, they passed on Justin Herbert, the quarterback who went number six overall. And I know that sentence is pain because if you're a Giants fan, I'm telling you now, you could have had Justin Herbert as your quarterback. And if I could time travel, I would go back in time and pick Justin Herbert. I was actually wrong about him in 2020. I regret that. But since I can time travel again, this topic, I I know the future. I know that Justin Herbert's going to be amazing. I know that I'm going to be wrong. I'd make fun of the guy on YouTube talking about Justin Herbert being a bust because I was clearly an idiot there. And I would take Justin Herbert. Now, Daniel Jones, not horrible. He's been very solid this year. But every Giants fan, you're lying to yourself if you try to tell me that you would rather have Daniel Jones at quarterback than Justin Herbert. That's just not true. However, left tackle was a good idea. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're like, well, we like our situation. Maybe Eli Manning doesn't retire. If you are really committed to drafting a tackle in 2020, top five, Andrew Thomas had a rough rookie year. He's better this year. He's making progress. But the guy I would have drafted probably was Iowa tackle Tristan Wirfs. He was also available. He's been the tackle blocking for Tom Brady in Tampa. They won a Super Bowl. Clearly, he can play. However, again, if the Giants were good in 2019, they probably wouldn't have a top five pick. I think that makes sense to me. And you could have also drafted quarterback Jalen Hurts or quarterback Gardner Minshew. I liked both of them in 2020. I still do. They weirdly play on the same team, the Eagles, who are a rival of the Giants. And, and debatably, I don't know that this is actually true, but some people would argue that the Eagles have two quarterbacks that are better than Daniel Jones, <laughs> which is a funny thought. If that, I don't know that that's true. Daniel Jones is not the problem so far this year, but um, certainly that's a competitive conversation. Another mistake Dave Gettleman made in 2021, this year in the NFL draft, he drafted wide receiver Kadarius Toney out of Florida, who's been so, he's been so good this year. Kadarius Toney has made a massive impact. He's catching all kinds of passes. He's got 20 touchdowns in three games. Oh, wait, no, he's done nothing. He's done absolutely nothing. Kadarius Toney, I think, was a guy Dave Gettleman, in my opinion, really wanted Devontae Smith, the wide receiver out of Alabama. He didn't get him. And then he had no backup plan. He's like, well, I don't know what else to do. I, I still was planning on drafting a receiver. So he overdrafted Kadarius Toney, who should not have been a first-round pick. What I would have done, you got to, I don't, does Dave Gettleman not have contingency plans? If this guy gets taken off the board, we'll take this guy instead. Because what I would have done is built my defensive line. I would draft a defensive end, Quitty Pay, number 20 overall. He actually got drafted with the next pick by the Indianapolis Colts. So here's my final tally. In 2018, I draft Quinton Nelson at guard instead of Saquon Barkley, number two overall. Then I take Nick Chubb at running back instead of Will Hernandez, number 34 overall. I draft left tackle Orlando Brown instead of B.J. Hill in the third round. I draft fourth round running back Chase Edmonds instead of a wasted pick Kyle Lauletta. In 2019, I take TJ Hawkinson at tight end instead of quarterback Daniel Jones, number six overall. With my 17th overall pick, I got three first-round picks. I take DK Metcalf at receiver instead of D-tackle, Dexter Lawrence. I'm trying to build around Eli Manning, give him help. Give no excuse. If Eli Manning fails, it's because he's bad, not because I didn't support him. I don't want to live with that. Hey, my Hall of Fame quarterback who won me two Super Bowls, I didn't give him any help at the end of his career. I don't want to live with that. I think Dave Gettleman has to live with that. That won't be me. Then with the 30th overall pick, I get another offensive lineman, Elton Jenkins, the guy with the most interesting name in the NFL. I draft Elton Jenkins instead of a bust. DeAndre Baker. So poor drafting and some bad moves in free agency have doomed the New York Giants. That's Dave Gettleman's fault. My philosophy for building a team is that you invest in the offensive line and the defensive line and get a quarterback. Those are the first three things you do. You, get, you build your offensive line or defensive line and get a quarterback. Receivers and running backs are better off when you have a good offensive line. Quarterbacks need time to throw. A running back with no blockers is useless. A great receiver is pointless if your quarterback is on his back getting sacked. And by the way, a a great defensive line harassing a quarterback with pressure makes your secondary look better. They have to cover for a lot less time. And they force quarterbacks to get the ball out of their hands quickly. And if if a quarterback's getting hit as he throws, he's less accurate, by the way. You build your defensive line. You build your offensive line. You get a quarterback. Here's what's crazy is that the Giants won a Super Bowl in 2007 with my strategy. I think I stole it from the Giants, the team that took down Tom Brady and the undefeated Patriots. I look at that team and I go, that's one of the most well-built rosters in NFL history. O.C. Minura, Michael Strahan, Justin Tuck. I think Jason Pierre-Paul, but he might've been later on the defensive line. The quarterback was a top five pick, Eli Manning. You've got a good offensive line. You have running backs who were taken later in the draft. Running backs are not as valuable as your offensive linemen. Build your O line, build your defensive line, and get a quarterback. Again, I can't say that enough. If your problem is you need a receiver, you're doing pretty dang good. I would much rather need a receiver than need a left tackle. Because if you need a receiver, hey, uh, your quarterback has to be more accurate, your timing has to be better. That's a that's a skill thing. If your left tackle's bad, go ask Justin Fields if he liked getting sacked nine times last week because he was his left tackle was matched up with Miles Garrett getting annihilated. Offensive linemen are more important than running backs and receivers. Linemen win games. You can never have too many good offensive linemen and, or defensive linemen, frankly. Linemen win games, and if you need a receiver, that's a good problem to have. So, I don't know, man. I just— uh... <sighs> Dave Gettleman. I, I, I time-traveled. I, I, I think I did a good job of this topic. It's been very long, but I, if I could time-travel— I would go back and fix everything Dave Gettleman has done ruin this Giants franchise. It's very sad. It's funny that we blame the coach. We blame the quarterback. We blame everybody. But the name, and and I don't live in New York, so I don't know what's being said in New York. But I know that nationally people always talk about the coach and the quarterback and this and that, The, the offensive coordinator. People, I think, tend to forget the guy that picks the players often has an impact on how good the football team is. Dave Gettleman is the biggest problem the Giants have right now in their franchise. How about Pittsburgh? Things are bad in Pittsburgh right now, too. Things are bad right now in Pittsburgh. They're 1-2. and They just lost to the Bengals in Cincinnati. Uh, Big Ben, their starting quarterback. By the way, the game, I guess, was actually technically in Pittsburgh. So they lost in front of their home fans. I remember seeing the Here We Go sign in the background. I love that stadium. It's beautiful. Big Ben, the starting quarterback of Pittsburgh, had two interceptions against Cincinnati last week in Week 3. He's been very, very frustrating to watch this year in the NFL. And people are quick to call them washed up. I would say like, ah, it's only three games. I don't want to get so caught up in the moment that I forget that the Steelers beat Buffalo week one. It was it was a good win. Big Ben did enough to win that game. That's, a I think, a very good playoff team, Buffalo. So it's not like Big Ben can't win this year in the 2021 NFL season. If he does enough to win, it's, it's possible. They got a good defense. They got some stuff going for him. But against Cincinnati last week, Big Ben had two interceptions, and it was actually worse than it sounds because two interceptions is misleading. That can really mean anything. It could mean a ball was tipped. It could mean a receiver dropped a pass and went through his hands, got intercepted. Maybe it's a Hail Mary before halftime. That's not really the quarterback's fault. You're trying to make a play and throw the ball up for grabs. Maybe it gets picked off, maybe not. However, the two interceptions Big Ben threw against Cincinnati, they happened because he has not grown. He has not changed as a quarterback. I was hoping that this year Big Ben would get the ball out quickly, take fewer hits, stop running around, stop trying to be a guy like who can run around. and. Ex- I want Big Ben to be more precise this year in 2021. And I wanted Big Ben to evolve his game. But apparently you cannot teach an old dog new tricks. It's very, very disappointing. The two interceptions happened because Big Ben was running around trying to extend plays against Cincinnati. You got to let the play die, dude. If no one's open or if there's pressure in your face, sometimes you have to take a sack. You can't force the ball. You can't try to make a play. Or find your check down. A turnover is way worse than taking a sack or throwing a check down that gets tackled three yards later. And one of them, by the way, was basically a fumble. He got hit as he threw. But again, that's a play where you got to eat it. Take the sack. Rather than trying to make a play, he got hit as he threw. His hand was going forward technically, so it got caught as an interception. It was basically a fumble, if you ask me. And I'm going to make an analogy or It's a comparison that uh, – feel free to skip ahead if you want to. But I want to talk about what I what – I, when I see Pittsburgh, it reminds me of this. I live in Hawaii, and I consider myself very lucky. It's my uh, – fortunate It's the word I would use. I worked hard for it, but I, I very, I'm very, very grateful to live here. It's my favorite place in the world. And Hawaii has an inevitable catastrophe – on its horizon, and not the physical horizon, I mean, in a couple of years from now, like 15 years, we're going to have massive, massive problems in Hawaii. That problem is climate change. On the east side of Oahu, the island where I live, there's a highway that runs along the ocean. And and literally waves, I've driven on it, and waves can hit your car as you're driving. And there's nowhere to move the road. I mean, in some places, you can't even, there's it's either a mountain or people's property or, or it's just it, – it's like literally it's a burial site. I mean there's, there's ways that you're not going to be able to move the road in 15 years when the ocean goes up. If the ocean rises three feet, which I don't, I don't know the science on that, but let's say the ocean does. At some point in the future, when sea level does rise, when the sea level does rise, that highway's in trouble and going to be inaccessible. And because of the way the mountains are shaped, it's going to make parts of the island inaccessible other than by boat or helicopter. So it's a problem that needs to be solved soon. Like there is an answer out there. An engineer can figure it out. But every day that's spent avoiding the problem means that we're losing time to solve it. Every day you avoid a problem, you're losing time to come up with a solution. You don't want a last minute fix. I'll make a football analogy. Hail Marys often don't work. My idea is to raise the road like 15 feet, whether it's a, like you see a, an overpass in a freeway, they're raised on stilts. Maybe you build a, a rock wall that could work as a retaining wall to block the ocean and you put the highway on top of the wall. Maybe that'll work. That's what they do in Iceland, by the way. They raise the freeways along the ocean. So they're, they're prepared. If sea, the sea level does rise, the highway can still be there. But you need time and money to build a new highway. It's going to take time. And the process has to start sooner or else it's going to, happened too late and and it's not going to be a viable solution. The Pittsburgh Steelers are very similar to Hawaii in climate change because, however, I I guess the difference is they're already underwater. The Pittsburgh Steelers have waited too long. (laughs) It's too late. They ignored all the warnings. Everybody was telling them, hey, we see the decline of Big Ben. The warning signs have been there for years. And instead of listening to the advice of people saying, hey, Big Ben is declining. Hey, you need a plan after Big Ben. Instead of doing that, the Pittsburgh Steelers organization was negligent. They didn't care. They didn't offer a solution. The team failed to come up with a plan. They're like, ah, let's just ignore it. It'll figure itself out. No, it won't. You have to find a way to win with Big Ben playing badly or replace Big Ben. So that's why they're losing. Management in Pittsburgh did not decide to solve the Big Ben problem. They're like, let's bring him back for one final year. Like, oh, okay, you guys got sentimental. and I get it. He's a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's won you two Super Bowls. Fair enough. But they didn't even trade for Gardner Minshew. They weren't like, let's, let's just get a backup quarterback in case. There's no plan for after Big Ben in Pittsburgh. And they had plenty of warning. And they had plenty of opportunities to solve that problem, and they didn't do it. If it were me, I'd have a quarterback waiting for after Big Ben. Maybe that's Dwayne Haskins, although I don't think so. He doesn't even dress down for games. Mason Rudolph certainly is not the answer after Big Ben retires. And if you're a Steelers fan, I think this whole process is unforgivable. I don't know why people never challenge ownership or never challenge. Like, people yell at the coach, People, but the ownership is someone that if you want to punish ownership, don't watch, don't buy stuff, don't go to games. In my opinion, if you really love something, you sacrifice for it. And if I'm a Steelers fan, I would like, I literally, I'd say hey, I love i love the organization, I want them to win. I'm boycotting until they find a solution to Big Ben. I was once a Mariners fan growing up. I was a Seattle Mariners fan. And I realized that ownership and management never did anything i agreed with and it was painful and i I divorced from the seattle mariners and i'm not saying you need to do that if you're a pittsburgh steelers fan but i am saying is feel free to send a message to management and the only language they speak is financial the only language they speak is with money so if you really want your quarterback solution to be solved like problem to be solved you gotta hurt them financially and I'm kind of mad at myself with Big Ben because I got suckered in. I got fooled. I, I read all the articles in the preseason. Hey, Big Ben is slimmer than ever. Big Ben is trying to change. And I saw Big Ben play in the preseason. I went, yes, Big Ben is changing. Oh, yeah. And I got all excited. And I, I, I'm such an idiot. I look back and I'm so stupid. I, I, of course, Big Ben looked really good playing against backups in the NFL. So far this year, he's been an accurate downfield. He's been making, uh, frankly, he's, he's made some bad decisions too. The offense lacks detail in general. Like, he's not on the same page as receivers. Chase Claypool and him can't figure it out. A ton of penalties. And the biggest, most unforgivable thing is that Big Ben refuses to evolve his playing style. It's like, it's so infuriating to watch. It's very early. There's a possibility that Big Ben will suddenly change. Maybe the new offensive coordinator, Matt Canada, needs more time. They need to figure out the small details in Pittsburgh and the wrong routes, the penalties. Maybe that does get fixed eventually. And then Najee Harris is a stud running back. I like the, uh, the running backs, right? I think Najee Harris is their franchise running back for at least the next five years. Depends on if his body holds up, but that could be a five to eight to 10 year relationship in Pittsburgh. But here's what's most unlikely. Like all that stuff I said, that could, that could be solved. The wrong routes, the penalties, But it is very unlikely that suddenly at 39 years old, in the middle of the year, Ben Roethlisberger will change his style as a quarterback. He's not going to stop playing the way he's played his whole career. Running around, extending plays, taking hits. Big Ben changing suddenly and then winning a lot of games. That feels as unlikely as draining the ocean. It's simply not going to happen. And again, it's sad because Big Ben is a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's won two NFL titles. I think it's sad to see it end this way and see him go down this road. And um, it's, you you always, I don't know. You, you want to play until they won't let you play anymore. But Big Ben looks like a guy who can't play anymore. <laughs> and uh, they might have to force him off the field. I don't know. This is his last year, undoubtedly. His contract voids after this year, but it is sad that it goes down this way with an ugly ending. It usually ends ugly, by the way. It's very rare you end your career with a victory or you end your career as the hero. Usually you usually end the career the way that Brett Favre did, with an ugly final year, and you don't deliver. And unfortunately, that's what's happened to Pittsburgh. And unfortunately, Pittsburgh decided not to have a plan, which I, to this day, will never understand. Okay, uh, let's shift gears. Uh, I want to talk about the New England Patriots. Let me drink some water real quick. It's like that scene in, uh, what's that movie? Wolf of Wall Street. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Matthew McConaughey, anybody? Maybe maybe people know what I'm talking about. Probably. I'm sure you've seen Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, I should cover that at some point. I think it's an interesting movie and and not here, obviously, on the sports podcast. There's a new book coming out in October. It's about the Patriots, and I'll plug the book. It's called It's Better to Be Feared. It's written by Sam Wickersham, a writer at ESPN. Book comes out October 12th, and since this book was announced, all kinds of details have leaked. One of them was this. Apparently, Tom Brady wanted to play for the San Francisco 49ers. The year he left New England, he was a free agent, could go anywhere he wanted. And by the way, he's from the Bay Area. He wanted to play for his favorite team he was a fan of as a child. And he's also friends with Wes Welker, his former receiver, who now is a coach for the 49ers. He told Wes Welker, hey, I want to play in San Francisco. And Wes passed the message on. The 49ers watched the film, and their coaching staff decided that Tom Brady was only slightly better than their current starting quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I understand how you end up at that conclusion because Jimmy G had played well and you're biased. Cause you're hoping that the guy you're paying a ton of money, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get a little bit better. So I think you overvalue Jimmy G a little bit. Then you look at Tom Brady, Nikhil Harry's playing horrible. The offensive line is not very good. Running game. Isn't great. You look at what Tom Brady did that last year. And you say in new England and you say, well, he needs help and, Uh, You undervalue Tom Brady a little bit, and when you overvalue Jimmy G, you undervalue Tom Brady, that's where the gap ends up, and you end up very wrong, where (laughs) you think that Tom Brady is comparable to Jimmy Garoppolo, which he's not. And that's all we know for sure, was that the 49ers decided we're not going to pursue Tom Brady. We're going to stick with Jimmy Garoppolo. But here's my theory, because remember, Tom Brady gave a quote earlier this offseason. Where he said he found out one team didn't want him. And he, I think he literally said that one team was hot early in the process and then they suddenly were no longer interested, which sounds a lot like what we know definitively, at least we've heard uh, the book claim happened with the 49ers. And, and Brady gave a quote. He said, when he found out that one team didn't want him, he said, You're sticking with that MFR? Mother Effer is what he said. You're sticking with that guy? And not only was it wrong, because Tom Brady is better than Jimmy Garoppolo by a lot, but also that MF, where he's like, Jimmy Garoppolo? Again? Remember, the Patriots tried replacing Tom Brady with Jimmy Garoppolo. Tom Brady didn't like it. He was offended, I'm pretty sure. He definitely was slighted and uses it as motivation to this day. So they have history, Tom Brady and Jimmy Garoppolo. Remember, it's kind of like you're interested in dating somebody. And the person you like ends up dating your childhood bully. And you're like, that's my nemesis. What the heck? I hate that guy. And now he's dating someone I want to be with? Now, it worked out better for the 49ers in the end. They got Trey Lance, their talented quarterback of the future. But it's just funny because that quote when Tom Brady said, you're sticking with that mf it was more than just him saying, I'm better than that guy. I, I actually thought it might be Mitchell Trubisky at the time or somebody like that. Well, a lot of people thought it was Derek Carr, which I never thought it was Derek Carr. But now I'm, I'm almost convinced. It's not 100% fact, but I, I, I fully believe that he was talking about Jimmy Garoppolo. And he wasn't just saying, I'm better than Jimmy Garoppolo. He's saying, like, this guy again? First Belichick and now Kyle Shanahan. They, they want Jimmy Garoppolo instead of me. Like, he probably was offended. He's like, okay, I'll, I'll show you. Not that Tom Brady needs any more motivation than he already has, but <laughs> certainly uh, this thorn in his side, Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, Tom Brady's kryptonite, apparently. Coming back to haunt him once again with the 49ers. Okay, um, I'm, let me use some aquifer real quick. Not a sponsor, but... For severely dry lips, they say. That's what happened. I talk. I'm a mouth breather. I've got really bad, um, what's, a deviated septum, meaning that, oh, I hit the mic. Basically, I, I can't breathe out my nose. It's an infuriating, awful thing, and when I'm rich someday, I'll solve it with a surgery. I'll get, I'll get a nose job, which, you know, I, can't, I can use a smaller, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna shave it down. I'm just gonna, like, fix the tunnel that's blocked permanently, so I can't breathe out my nose. Um, anyway, my lips get really dry because I have to breathe out my mouth, so I am, I am, it's used derog- as a derogatory thing. I'm a mouth breather. <laughs> Welcome to me being vulnerable here. Let's talk about Drew Brees. I noticed recently that I keep comparing quarterbacks to Drew Brees. Here's why, though. In my opinion, Drew Brees is the gold standard for his prototype of quarterback. Guys who are not great athletes guys who are not the tallest in the world, don't have the strongest arm, guys who need to both be smart and accurate to win. Because Drew Brees was never going to run for 50 yards and a touchdown. He had to find a way to win differently. For example, I I would say that if Tua Tungavaloa, the Miami Dolphins quarterback, ends up succeeding in the NFL, it will be because he mastered the same stuff that Drew Brees had to master. Pocket movement, decision-making. Getting the ball out quick, understanding, hey, they're blitzing. I got to beat the blitz with the ball. Footwork, accuracy, mechanics. By the way, the Elite 11, Trent Dilfer, they teach you, you know, they say you want to separate. Man, separate. And it's true. Like, when you separate, you really get a lot more power with the ball, and it helps you get more out of your throwing motion. Well, they got that from Drew Brees. The Elite 11, the premier high school quarterback training competition, I guess, whatever you want to call it. They teach Drew Brees' mechanics because they're really good. Drew Brees mastered everything he could control. And that is why I will always compare quarterbacks to Drew Brees. Because he showed how things can be done when you master all of those things I mentioned. Justin Herbert doesn't need to do that. Justin Herbert, if he does, if Justin Herbert has great pocket movement, decision-making, footwork, accuracy, all that stuff, he'll be a Hall of Fame quarterback. But he has an advantage Drew Brees has. If he misreads a blitz, Justin Herbert is a good enough athlete where he can stiff-arm the guy, make him miss, and run for 60 yards. Drew Brees was never the fastest or the strongest or the biggest but he mastered everything he could control, and that is why I will compare quarterbacks to Drew Brees for years. Peyton Manning, too. Tom Brady, too. But Drew Brees is the one that comes to mind where, like, he was— I love Peyton Manning. His, his throwing motion was really flawed. I love Tom Brady. I, I don't have a reason why I, I think of Drew Brees first as a guy who overcame a lot of— I, I guess it's because Drew Brees didn't start off great. He had to develop his skill set, and maybe that's why. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud, but Drew Brees is the gold standard for a guy who is small, not very good athlete, not the strongest arm, but controlled everything he could control. I had a coach who said, control the controllables in high school. I think it's kind of a clunky way to say that. I say control everything you can control. But Drew Brees didn't just do that. He mastered pocket movement, decision-making. How to read a defense. Get the ball really quick out of your hand. Timing, accuracy, footwork, mechanics. Every little way that Drew Brees could tweak his game. And Tom Brady's the same way. He made sure to make adjustments and dominate that. Leadership, everything. Every aspect he could control, Drew Brees dominated. And that is why I will always compare quarterbacks to Drew Brees. Okay, let's talk about the NFL week four. Let me drink some water real quick first. This is going to be an incredible, amazing week of NFL football. I look at the schedule and I'm like, oh my goodness. These are 10 things that I cannot wait to see play out during NFL week four. Number one is this, Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick. Coach versus quarterback, former coach versus former quarterback, Buccaneers versus Patriots. I don't care who wins. The winner is not the goat of goats. I've heard that. The term goat is so overused anyway. um, If Tom Brady beats Bill Belichick, it's not like Bill Belichick isn't as good as Tom Brady. It's just fun to see. Tom Brady has a better team. Bill Belichick, remember, has a rookie quarterback, Mac Jones. He's not been awful. Had a bad week last week. But here's what's really fun about this game. The thing I'm I'm most excited to watch. How does Bill Belichick defend Tom Brady? We've never seen them play each other before. It's like the only matchup we've never gotten. Every other matchup has happened at least one time. Peyton Manning versus Eli Manning. I'm trying to think of the other stuff I would see. Like we saw, I talked about this the other day. We saw John Gruden get traded by the Raiders and then beat them in a Super Bowl the next year. We've seen everything. But we've never seen Bill Belichick play Tom Brady. What does Bill Belichick's game plan look like to stop Tom Brady? <clears throat> Both these guys care a lot. Tom Brady wants to win. Bill Belichick wants to win. They realize that this affects the way people will see them forever. This game will affect their legacy. Don't tell me Bill Belichick doesn't care. We know Tom Brady cares, but Bill Belichick's the one that I think a lot of people go, oh, he's a coach, blah, blah. No, he cares. He wants to beat Brady badly. He, he cares about that kind of stuff, I, I assure you. This is a massive game. It's the biggest game maybe of the entire regular season. It's going to be an incredible football game. Uh, the media coverage is going to be unbelievable. I cannot wait to watch. That's why I dedicated so much time to it. It's going to be incredible. The second thing I can't wait to see during NFL Week 4 is the Arizona Cardinals at the LA Rams. SoFi Stadium is beautiful. Matthew Stafford is fun to watch, but both teams are undefeated. And here is the narrative I am excited for. It's an NFC West division battle. And we know the Rams are great. We know the LA Rams are maybe, I've argued they're the best team in the NFL. Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, Matthew Stafford, John McVay, stars, everywhere Cooper Cup. But what I'm excited to watch is Arizona. How good are the Arizona Cardinals? This is a test for them. How good really are they? I'm skeptical. They've played some good football. They should have lost to Minnesota. Minnesota botched the game-winning field goal. It's a prove-it game for Arizona. Let's see it. How good are you guys? The fan base is yelling at me. We're incredible. Okay, fair enough. Let's see how good Arizona is as they play at the Rams week four. Number three, the Lions at the Bears. The Lions have an opportunity to win their first game of the year here. The Lions are not a terrible football team. They're competitive. Do not forget the Lions had the lead 17-14 to 14 in the first half against Green Bay. When Jared Goff plays clean football, they can win games. Jared Goff is just a flaw. He, he can't play consistently. So the Lions are a flawed football team, but they are not awful. Now, the Chicago Bears, I have no idea what to expect. We've heard Matt Nagy say it could be Nick Foles starting at quarterback. It could be Andy Dalton. It could be Justin Fields. I don't, I don't know. And, and Nick, Matt Nagy, the head coach, I think is, is slowly— uh, descending into madness, because I think he's starting to... It's, it's hard. Look, let me tell you, it, I get criticism all day, every day. No matter what I say, someone's mad at me. Someone disagrees, and I get... And because it's sport, it's not politics, right? You, it, you're not going to talk about certain political issues publicly, but in the sports world, nobody cares. You can say whatever you want, and no one's going to judge you. So people trash me all the time. I am in... I, I think Matt Nagy is letting that conversation getting constantly attacked. I think he's letting it get to his head, affect his decision-making, affect everything he says. He's at home laying in bed thinking about the media instead of thinking about the game plan. I fear that. So I have no idea what to expect from Chicago. It's a glorious mess. It's going to be incredible. Who will their quarterback be on Sunday? I don't know. Neither do you. Maybe we'll know in a couple hours on Friday. But that is why I cannot wait to watch the Lions at Bears, in NFL week four. Storyline number four, the Carolina Panthers at the Dallas Cowboys. Here's the question. Can Carolina go on the road and beat a very good Dallas Cowboys football team? Dak Prescott's fantastic. They've got—I was wrong about Dallas. They're really good. I mean, they're talented everywhere. So far, the offensive line has stayed healthy. In fact, you know, Terrence Steele has stepped up at a tackle. They had Tyron Smith. I think it was Tyron Tyron Smith who got in trouble with— something, some off the field issue. So Terrence Steele is playing tackle for the Cowboys. He's been really great. His run blocking has been incredible. I recently ranked the Carolina Panthers as the worst undefeated team in the NFL. Let's test the theory. I I consider myself a mad sports scientist. So I I think Dallas wins. But I might be protecting my heart too because I know protecting my heart because I... I'm basically a Carolina Panthers fan. If, if someone said, gun to your head, you gotta pick a favorite NFL team, I can't lie to you. I'd say it's the Carolina Panthers. I love them. I love... And it's not because I like the team itself. I'm not like, ooh, the colors, baby blue or whatever it's called. I like I like Carolina. I like the people. I like uh, I like the, the southern charm that city has. I like Charlotte a lot. But I like the people there in Carolina. And so I, I know that maybe in... Predicting Dallas will win, I'm guarding my heart saying, you know, expect the worst, hope for the best. But I don't know, and we'll see. I- I'm excited to see and kind of learn a lot about Carolina during NFL Week 4. I also can't wait to watch Zach Prescott, the Cowboys quarterback. I saw him outrule rule compared him to Peyton Manning and Drew Brees. I would agree with that. The- Dak Prescott is playing out of his mind and I, I think is massively improved this year. Dak Prescott's going to be fun to watch against this Carolina defense, and also the Cowboys run the ball a lot, and so far, so far, go. I, I haven't watched it, but I saw that Brett Coleman, my buddy, posted a uh, a video about Car- the Carolina Panthers defense. I recommend it. Brett's always a, he's a good person, and so giving him a view, you know, you're giving someone uh, a good person in the world a, a good view uh, on YouTube. Uh, I, I don't. I, I really am curious to see how this Carolina Panthers defense stacks up against a really good running game like the Dallas Cowboys. Storyline number five. Uh, here's a weird thought. Jacoby Brissett has been a backup quarterback basically his whole NFL career. Like, he's borderline, right? He's like either the be- one of the better backups in the NFL or one of the worst starting quarterbacks in the NFL. He's kind of that guy who will always have a job. He can win games you need him to, but you're never going to build a team around him. Is this a Jacoby Brissett revenge game? Is that even a thing? Can a guy like Jacoby Brissett have a revenge game? Because the Colts are 0-3, they're playing at the Dolphins during week four. And it's a must-win game for both teams. The, if the Miami Dolphins want to save their year, they have to go 2-2 two two to start the year. They cannot start 1-3. And, and the Colts on the other side have to start 1-3 because they have no other option. And they, they've lost three games in a row to start the year. Miami's defense has a ton of talent. I worry about Carson Wentz trying to match up against them. That's the Colts quarterback. And the Dolphins are, like I mentioned, Jaco- Jacoby Brissett, the Dolphins are starting Jacoby Brissett at quarterback because Tua is injured, has a rib injury. And Jacoby Brissett played quarterback in Indy last year. And so I ask, and I, and I kind of laugh as I think about it. <laughs> Can Jacoby Brissett have a revenge game? I don't know. But I'm going to watch it because I'm curious. And I, I think that'd be really, really fun to talk about next week. Number six, the Giants at the New Orleans Saints. The Giants are 0-3. They cannot start 0-4. The Giants, the way they run their franchise, just endlessly bothers me. Uh, But if the Saints are good, then this is a game they should win. Good teams take care of business and beat bad football teams. The New Orleans quarterback, Jameis Winston, he's always a wild card. I, I don't know what to expect from him. I can't tell if he's good or bad. I, I, yeah, I didn't, I haven't, I am I, very disappointed in myself. I had a really busy week. I did not watch the New Orleans Saints, New England Patriots game from last week. I, I, I read the box score. The box score never really, stats don't tell you the full story. So I don't know, but I, I don't have any idea what to expect from New Orleans this week. They've kind of taken on the personality. The first two games I watched of the year, they look like they took on the personality of their quarterback, Jameis Winston. It's just a roller coaster. in this game giants at saints between the giants fan base who is passionate and they can be mean but i love them because guess what i would rather you have passion and intensity and be mean sometimes than be apathetic i'd I'd rather my fiance yell at me than not care because at least if she's yelling at me there's something there she cares so i think the giants fan base they're gonna be crazy the saints are inconsistent and a roller coaster so this game is going to be a roller coaster of emotion between the giants and the new orleans saints game number seven Seattle at the 49ers. It's very simple. Can Russell Wilson carry Seattle to beat a better team the San Francisco 49ers? It's a division matchup. It's interesting. Uh, Shane Waldron, the offensive coordinator for Seattle, he has done a fantastic job creating opportunities for Tyler Lockett. I want to see... DK Metcalf benefit from the play calling. DK Metcalf the other re- receiver with Seattle. I want to see him get more opportunities vertically downfield from Russell Wilson. Can Russell make up for the problems Seattle has and beat a better football team San Francisco? And then is Jimmy Garoppolo going to cost the 49ers another game? Jimmy Garoppolo is a solid quarterback in the NFL. He's either one of the lower end starters or a Outstanding backup quarterback. He's massively overpaid, in my opinion. Is Jimmy G going to cost his team a game against another good quarterback? Last week, the better quarterback won. Aaron Rodgers beat the 49ers. But Aaron Rodgers also has a really good football team. Seattle is not as good. Not even in the same conversation as the Green Bay Packers. So Jimmy Garoppolo has to beat Russell Wilson. That's what this game is all about. The so two quarterbacks is the most compelling storyline. Uh, always, basically, usually is the quarterback position. Can Russell Wilson carry Seattle? And can Jimmy Garoppolo, I guess, will Jimmy Garoppolo cost his team the game with poor play and bad decision-making? Number eight, the Steelers at Green Bay. Uh, it's interesting because it's the two biggest, well, two of the three biggest fan bases in the NFL. The other one, the Steelers, the Packers, and the Dallas Cowboys are the three they, I, if you said like how, how many you know you're in you're in America and you look around or maybe the whole planet and you say everyone raise your hand if you're a Steelers fan everyone raise your hand if you're a Cowboys fan raise your hand if you're a Packers fan they would all win they'd have the, the most people that are fans of their team and they they sell tons of merch they make tons of money they're they're a big brand so it'd be cool to watch the Steelers fan base against the Packers fan base the talk on Twitter the anger the vitriol the reality is the Pittsburgh Steelers have really big problems uh, Big Ben is injured their offense has been inconsistent they you know the wrong routes and not on the same page as with the quarterback and they have penalties on the offense it's been a, a train wreck actually at times and I expect for that reason the Packers who are a Super Bowl contender are going to dominate Pittsburgh TJ Watt is the X factor TJ Watt the past rusher for Pittsburgh can he take over this game and really really cause problems for Aaron Rodgers if The Steelers are going to win this football game, which I don't think they will. T.J. Watt is going to have to play really, really well and make a big impact in this football game. If T.J. Watt gets hurt in the fourth quarter, game over. It's not going to happen. If they win, T.J. Watt is a massive factor that's got to be good for Pittsburgh. Number nine, the Broncos at the Baltimore Ravens. The Denver Broncos are undefeated. Oh, yeah. It's going to be fun. Uh, They are... So far, Denver is 3-0, and but the teams they've beaten combined are 0-9. Every team they've played is winless. Denver has. So Baltimore will be the first team to actually challenge the Denver Broncos all year. Now, But it's not like the Broncos, they, they've dominated bad opponents, but that's what you're supposed to do. Like, sorry, the Broncos don't pick their schedule. All they can do is win football games and beat the teams that line up in front of them. The Denver Broncos have one of the best, if not the best, and most complete rosters in the NFL. The Denver Broncos do not have a hole on their football team, and that's a thing I almost never say. E- even the LA Rams have problems. Now, the Rams have a better quarterback. The Rams have a couple better, like, who has more star players, the Rams or the Broncos? I think the, the LA Rams have more star players. But people, like, the, I think the most underrated team in the entire NFL Is the Denver Broncos. That's my theory. I look at the roster, and it's like people just don't know the name Tim Patrick. People are like, I don't know who who is Tim Patrick. He's a great receiver for Denver that you've never heard of. Noah Fant, a star tight end in the making in Denver. Good offensive line, good running back, good defense. They've got Vic Fangio, who is a Fangio Fangio. I still don't know how to say his name, and we're like four weeks into his second year in the NFL as a head coach. I'm like, I got to learn how to say Vic Fangio. Fangio's name that's probably how you say it but he's a defensive mastermind he's the reason why Matt Nagy once won NFL coach of the year was because he was a defensive coordinator in Chicago and how is Vic Fangio the defensive you know he's a head coach but he's also the guy designing the defense in Denver what's his game plan to stop Lamar Jackson that's amazing and also Vic Fangio has good players on his team Bradley Chubb Vaughn Miller A couple, like really, the defense is loaded. So I I really am excited to see how does Denver play against Baltimore. Are they as good as I think they are? I I think Denver is the most underrated football team in the entire NFL. People have no idea what they got going on in Denver. If Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback in Denver. We would embrace them as a, hall of, as, a, sorry, as a Hall of Fame. They're not a Hall of Fame team. We would embrace them as a Super Bowl contender today. But people doubt Teddy Bridgewater for good reason. Teddy Bridgewater has always been a average to limited quarterback in the NFL. But Teddy Bridgewater is playing out of his mind better than ever before, and not just because they played bad teams. Teddy Bridgewater got better, believe it or not. Because when you work hard, you watch a lot of film, you train hard, you get better. That's what tends to happen. Who, who would have thought hard work pays off? So I think the Denver Broncos, as I say it out loud, I think to myself, I think the Broncos might even dominate the Baltimore Ravens, but it is the first time they're going to get challenged. This is the game that will make or break Denver. How good are they? Either it's going to legitimize them or they're going to be proven as frauds. I'm also worried about the Ravens' offensive line. They struggle to protect Lamar Jackson at times, and we'll see. We'll see. I think Denver can, could smack Baltimore by a lot. Game number 10, Monday Night Football, the Raiders at the Chargers. Oh, my goodness. Dun-dun-dun-dun. dun 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 I wish there was a, uh, a Manning cast this weekend, because or this week, Monday. You know, I, I hate watching the actual Monday Night Football broadcast. Uh, the Raiders are 3-0. and The Chargers are a dark horse Super Bowl team in my mind. And the Raiders, by the way, beat three football teams. The Steelers are not very good, but they you know, beat the Ravens. They beat Kansas City. The Raiders are a very good football team and, and a building football team. They have the most explosive offense so far through three games in the NFL. Derek Carr, by the way, is on pace to break every passing record in the NFL. He leads the NFL in passing. He's on pace, Derek Carr is, to throw for 6,600 yards. <laughs> think, think about that for a minute. He, he's thrown for 1,200 yards in three games. Unbelievable. Henry Ruggs, former first-round pick, is really evolving into a good player. Brian Edwards, Darren Waller, Hunter renfrow This offense is fantastic. Colton Miller, their tackle, the young guy is playing great. The defense for the Raiders is getting better every week. I mean, they beat Kansas City, which is not an accident. Derek Carr, a MVP candidate against Justin Herbert, who is the most exciting young quarterback in the NFL. I, I love watching Justin Herbert, I was wrong about him in the draft. I have to, I feel like I'm obligated to mention that every time I say it, but I love watching the guy play and I love watching Justin Herbert play well. People think I have an ego. I don't care. I love when people prove me wrong. He did, he's outstanding. The Chargers defense, Brandon Staley was the, he's a defensive minded head coach. He was the Rams defensive coordinator last year. What's his plan to stop this Raiders explosive offense? They make big plays happen. They, They do good stuff. I really hope this is a good game, Raiders and Chargers. A blowout would really disappoint me. I don't care who wins. I just want it to be dramatic and fun, and I think we have potential for that. This is the NFL Week 4 so far is the best slate of games I have seen during the entire NFL season. It's not even close, and I cannot wait to watch. These are 10 games that I—it's going to be a big challenge to watch every game that's going to happen this week in the NFL. I'm going to do my best to watch all 10 football games. That's a lot. It's a big ask. It's a lot of time commitment. It's a lot of time committed to watching football and that, and it's my job and I still am going to have a hard time, but I cannot wait to see what happens in these football games. It's going to be unbelievable. <sighs> okay. Guys, we are just on a roll. I feel great having fun. It's 1:48 in the morning. And uh, doing well. Let's talk about some old friends and some old rivals. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are about to play each other. Buccaneers versus Patriots. Tom Brady against his former team and his former coach. And this is going to spark a conversation, a debate is going to happen. No matter who wins, people are going to, you know, can, they're going to look in the garbage can be like, oh, remember that piece of trash we threw away, that stupid conversation that isn't really worth anything? <laughs> People are going to dig that conversation out of the trash. They're going to say, remember this narrative? Who is more important, Tom Brady or Bill Belichick? Who is better? You know, they won six Super Bowls together. Who do you think was more responsible for that Super Bowl run? Who cares? It's nonsense. I, 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 I hate that conversation. It's infuriating. People feel the need. You know, TV producers that know very little, they're, they're people that learned about the media. They didn't learn about football. They're not football people. Go, go look at TV networks. This is, this is going to be the reason. This, what I'm saying right here is going to be the reason why First Take doesn't take me on their show is because some producers are going to hear this and get offended. And maybe he'll, what I hope he does is I hope he hears me criticize him and, and meets me in person and says it in my face. TV people are not football people. They don't know the game, and the people that create the narratives for ESPN and Fox Sports, they sit in a room and they go, well, what are, what's going to make fans angry and watch? And one of the narratives that they have created is, who is more important in that six Super Bowl title run the Patriots went on? Bill Belichick or Tom Brady? It's the dumbest conversation you can have. It's, it's not productive. It's not. It doesn't actually—you can't—there's you, there's no answer to it you can build an argument. They're all dumb because here's the thing. Tom Brady or Bill Belichick without both of them, it wouldn't work. Bill Belichick wouldn't win six Super Bowls with Ryan Tannehill at quarterback. And with Bruce Arians, I love Bruce Arians, Bruce Arians and Tom Brady would not have won six titles together in Tampa. If Tom Brady played in Tampa Bay on a different team from 2001 until 2019, he he wouldn't have won six Super Bowls. They needed each other. Stop the narrative that one is better than the other. Without both of them, it wouldn't have happened. Here's the thing. Bill Belichick didn't evolve as the years went on. The relationship got sour because Tom Brady got older and Tom Brady got less tolerant of nonsense and Tom Brady... Was not happy that Bill Belichick didn't respect Tom like a superstar, which Tom Brady is, and and you treat your superstars differently. Bill Belichick is an old school guy; he's not going to do that. But here's the thing: Bruce Arians is great, and an old when you develop, you get more money, you get more. Like I, I, I really want to buy a money's like super tight still, and I'm finally, finally like. I'm done paying my old rent, my landlord. I had this abusive landlord who was like really, really predatory and awful. And I've been paying him money every month because he, he just keeps deciding reasons and it threatens to sue me. I've been doing that for months. It's been horrible. The last six months of my life have been – finally, i I'm finally free as of uh, an, uh, an hour and 51 minutes ago. My, my point is that I have this landlord harassing me about money. So I've been paying him all kinds of ridiculous fees. But growing up, making money and – Having kids and being a superstar and having attention and fans, like it does change you. It's it's an undeniable fact. So Tom Brady now in 2021 has different needs than Tom Brady in 2002. Bruce Arians works great with Tom Brady now because Tom Brady wants to enjoy his life and enjoy his kids and be treated like a superstar. But in 2002, Tom Brady needed to be made fun of by Bill Belichick in the film room. Tom Brady need Bill Belichick saying, I can't stand it, Brady. Run it again. He needed someone to call him out and criticize him. I'm sorry, but Tom Brady doesn't become Tom Brady without Bill Belichick coaching him. It's just, it wouldn't have happened. And likewise, Bill Belichick would not have done what he did without Tom Brady. Remember, uh, Bill Belichick was the head coach in Cleveland. And he got fired because he didn't have a quarterback. So they needed each other. I just hate the narrative. One guy had to be better than the other. I see a parallel here between Tom Brady and actually a a parallel in Formula One. Lewis Hamilton, oddly similar to Tom Brady. Tom Brady won six Super Bowls with Bill Belichick. Lewis Hamilton, the F1 driver, has won six world titles driving for Mercedes. Mercedes has the most money, the best car, they're dominant. Finally, this year, by the way, Red Bull has challenged Mercedes, but that's an, it's, it's, a, it's a new development in Formula One. For years, Mercedes had the best car every single year, and usually with like six, seven, eight races left in the year, <laughs> Lewis Hamilton was so far ahead, he'd already won the world title because he dominated for years. And people often discredit Lewis Hamilton by saying that the only reason he won because, was because he was driving a Mercedes car. And that's incredibly disrespectful to Lewis Hamilton. Again, you needed both. And we're seeing this year when it's a little more uh, even playing field between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. Red Bull can finally challenge Mercedes. They've got a better car. Oh, even when he's challenged, Lewis is still really good. It's because he's like one of the best ever to drive a Formula One car. You you can't discount the amazing moments and all the battles that Lewis Hamilton and the obstacles he had to overcome during his journey to winning six world titles with Mercedes. By the way, he's won seven. Similar to Tom Brady. Very weirdly, Tom Brady won one Super Bowl without Bill Belichick in Tampa. Lewis Hamilton won another. They both won seven titles. Lewis Hamilton won another world championship before he got to Mercedes with McLaren oh weird it's it's the parallels between Tom Brady and Lewis Hamilton are unbelievable but here's the thing I don't like I still the conversation who is more valuable well, let's be clear with Williams a bad car like what Williams put on the track in the last five ten years Lewis Hamilton would not have won any world titles driving for a driving a Williams car he would have been, he probably, he probably would have got points a couple of times. He probably would have, he maybe would have gotten a, on the podium. We saw George Russell got a podium with Williams. Like one of the, that's like, that's literally maybe the best accomplishment of, I, George Russell's going to drive a Mercedes car. And I will, we'll always know like, man, he, he's better off in a better car. And, and even though George Russell won a race driving for Williams and it was, te- it was a technicality. They only drove three laps and, Because of rain, like they they couldn't have any overtaking. But the fact that week in and week out, George Russell can qualify a terrible Mercedes car the way he does. He got onto the podium with a Williams car. That might be the best accomplishment of George Russell's career, even even 20 years from now when he retires or whenever he retires as a McLaren driver. So Williams is bad. (laughs) A tangent there. Mercedes is a great car manufacturer. They make amazing Formula 1 cars. But without Lewis Hamilton, Mercedes, even with the best car, would not have won the world titles they won with Lewis Ham- without Lewis Hamilton. Another driver would not have dominated the way that Lewis Hamilton has. The only person out there that might have done it, I'm blanking on his name, the German guy. Why can't, I, why can't I remember they were best friends? What is his name? Let me look it up. I follow him on YouTube. I can see him now. He's on Dragon's Den, the German Shark Tank. What is his name? Lewis versus... Lewis Hamilton. Come on, if I type in... How how do I find Hamilton? Versus... Versus... Nico Rosberg. So maybe Nico Rosberg would have won multiple world titles driving for Mercedes because he was a great driver too. He's like, he, he really did challenge... Mercedes, they were on the same team. They had many battles, but in the end, Lewis Hamilton won. Another driving for Mercedes would not have dominated the way way that Lewis Hamilton did. You needed both. You needed Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. You needed Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton. They needed each other. It goes both ways. When the best car is driven by the best driver, that's when you get six world titles domination to the highest degree. When the best coach in the NFL has the best quarterback in the NFL, that's when you see domination in the NFL. So six titles together is an unbelievable number. Tom Brady would not have won six titles in Tampa. Lewis Hamilton would not have won six titles with... Williams I'm really tired of the conversation and and the the desire to discuss which one is more valuable you don't get one without the other they needed each other you needed both Tom Brady is not better than Bill Mercedes is not better than Lewis they needed each other to dominate the sports world the way that they did Let's talk about college football. This is gonna be like a two and a half hour episode. I swear to it. It's it's I still have so much more to say. It's unbelievable. Let me drink some water real quick. And I gotta find my phone. This is my phone. I gotta be ready because Ask Zach's coming up. I gotta let me open up Ask Zach real quick so that's already open. That way when we get there, there's not a delay. Let's have the delay happen now, while I remember. Rather than in the moment, I'll say, let's do Ask Zack. And I'm like, oh, kind okay. of have to fumble for it to open Ask Zach. Only two Ask Zach questions this week: Jesse and I'll call him Mark. I don't know how to say his name. College football now. Let's talk about college football. Last week in college football, there were not very many good and compelling matchups. It was a it was a rough weekend. You know, the one game I was excited for, like the most excited for, was Notre Dame and Wisconsin playing at Soldier Field in Chicago. That game was a blowout. I was like, I was so disappointed. I was like, ah, come on. And actually, Michigan plays Wisconsin this weekend because Wisconsin's bad. And Minnesota, and, and, and Minnesota I meant Michigan. Michigan plays uh, Wisconsin. Michigan is 4-0. and Wisconsin is 1-2. If Wisconsin is better, I'd be more excited about that game. And I almost put it on this list, but it's not. Wisconsin's not a very good football team. At least hasn't been that impressive this year. Uh, and I'm kind of disappointed about it. This weekend, college football week five is exactly opposite of what we saw last week in college football. Last week, it felt like the big programs took a week off, played a bunch of cupcakes. This weekend, there are so many good games. It's incredible. I don't even know what to do with myself. I, I can't cover them. Not really. I can mention them, and I'll probably try to do a topic like saying what happened and sharing my thoughts based on that. And I'll watch. I'm going to have games on all day Saturday, but I, I can't I can't do a breakout of 10 college football games. But these are ten games that should be on your radar this weekend. If you're watching TV, maybe you turn pick one and watch them. Maybe you wait till they get going and you're like, "Hey, that Fresno State Hawaii game is really interesting," and you turn it on mid game and or you you record it. I don't know, but if you can watch one of these games, you'll be very very happy. Game number one, number twelve, Ole Miss at number one, Alabama. Lane Kiffin used to be the offensive coordinator at Alabama, and this will be his second time playing them as the head coach of Ole Miss, Mississippi. Uh, is it Mississippi University or University of Mississippi? I don't know. they just call called Ole Miss. It's kind of funny. Last year, he lost sixty-three to forty-eight to Nick Saban in Alabama, but this year is different. I think Ole Miss has a better quarterback, and Lane Kiffin's played Alabama already once before in his career. I mean, I think he was coached at Tennessee or something too. So, I, if I remember correctly, but it's my point is that I doubt that Lane Kiffin and Matt Corral can pull off the upset, but it is possible. And that, and that gets me going whenever I go, ooh, maybe Ole Miss can beat Alabama. And that little chance, I'm there. I'm sold. I'm going to watch that. That's going to be incredible. I love SEC football. People hate SEC nationally. That's because they don't love good football, apparently. The SEC is an incredible conference that they dominate, but it's because they're good. They're interesting. SEC quarterbacks are good now. The SEC quarterbacks used to be terrible. It's like the only flaw of the SEC. Now they got good quarterbacks, too. and I'm like, I could watch this forever. There are so many good matchups going on. And that is why game number two is number eight, Arkansas. It's spelled Arkansas, but I have to spell S-A-W at the end because I forget how to say it. I want to say Arkansas all the time. It's number eight, (laughs) Arkansas at number two, Georgia. Two undefeated teams. Last week, Arkansas, Arkansas beat Texas A&M, who is the number seven team in the nation at the time of the game. Arkansas, Georgia should be fun. I got to say I'm rooting for Arkansas. I'm going to say Arkansas forever and I'm going to annoy people from Arkansas. Uh, I I I want to see Arkansas do well. Arkansas weird state. They're a dry state in many parts of the many counties of their state, but it's beautiful. Like Arkansas might be the most underrated state in America. Like the hills they got going on. Beautiful like forested hills. Really go look at pictures of rural Arkansas. Look up Arkansas Hills. Beautiful. Game number 3. Number 6 ranked Oklahoma at K State, Kansas State. Kansas State has beat Oklahoma two years in a row. Their coach, uh, Chris Kleeman, used to be the coach at North Dakota State. He dominated there at NDSU. So you have a team, K-State, who's beat Oklahoma two years in a row, and you have an Oklahoma team that's down, that is not as good as they normally are. They barely beat Tulane. They barely beat Nebraska. They beat West Virginia by three points. I cannot believe they're still the number six ranked team in the nation. I think this is an upset alert. Oklahoma's overrated, and K-State might beat them this weekend. Let me call my shot. I, I have, I'm guessing. I have no idea. But K-State's going to beat Oklahoma. There you go. I gave you the the everybody wants. Keep your eye on that. K-State hosting number six ranked Oklahoma could win. Game number – oh, my notes are all out of order. Uh, well, let's just talk about – so that's game number three. Game number four – there we go. Back on track. Boston College plays number 25, Clemson. And if Boston College wins, I'm not sure you can call that an upset. Because Clemson plays good defense. Uh, Brent Venables, their defensive coordinator, is fantastic. He is paid very well, and he deserves it. But the quarterback, DJ Uwe Ungalay, in Clemson has been very, very disappointing. I thought he was an NFL quarterback. I was like, I'm excited to watch this guy. And now I think that DJ Uwe Ungalay is just big. That's it. He's a big guy. He throws an ugly ball. He's not very well prepared. Very, very unimpressive. I think Boston College might beat number 25 Clemson at Death Valley, by the way. Clemson's hosting. Keep your eye on that game. Unfortunately, Boston College, Phil Yurkovich, their starting quarterback, got injured a couple weeks ago. Uh, But the backups played pretty well. So keep your eye. If Boston College wins, I'm not sure that's even an upset because of how disappointing the quarterback situation for Clemson has been. Then you got number 22, Auburn at LSU, an see battle. I've heard people say that Bo Nix is the best quarterback in college football. Is that satire? Or if I just not been watching Bo Nix. I remember watching Bo Nix as a freshman, and he looked pretty rough. And then I watched Bo Nix play Penn State, and I was like, this dude can play. That's a good ball. That's a good ball. That's a good ball. Huh, okay. It's very possible Bo Nix suffered because he played really early, and Instead of getting better at practice, he was getting better on live national television. <laughs> and people, you, once you make a first impression, people never forget that. Bo Nix might be great. I, I want to watch him against LSU. I'm going to learn a lot about Bo Nix this weekend on the road. The other Death Valley at LSU. I would rather watch a game at LSU, by the way, than Clemson. LSU Stadium, a night game there. Oh my Goodness. It is unbelievable. It is terrifying. That is a beautiful stadium. I want to pl- watch a game there someday. In fact, I think in the SEC, LSU is the number one stadium I'd most want to go to. I'd also want to go to, Stan. Uh, I guess, Sanford Stadium. Is that what it's called in Georgia? Tuscaloosa would be cool, but Death Valley, LSU, that is the place I most want to go watch a game in the SEC. Arizona State at number 20, UCLA should be fun. You got two good quarterbacks, Dorian Thompson Robinson for UCLA, Jaden Daniels for Arizona State. Both are three and one. That's going to be a good, fun game. Then you got number seven, Cincinnati, at number nine, Notre Dame. Notre Dame probably wins. Uh, They're playing at home. I can't believe that Cincinnati is ranked higher than Notre Dame. That feels weird to me. I'm very surprised by that. But this is a big opportunity for Cincinnati a growing, building football program. They got a good head coach. Guy, he's a guy who used to be at Ohio State who learned his lessons. He's doing great now at Cincinnati. I forget his name. Blanking on it right now. They got a star quarterback, Desmond Ritter. He's a senior. He's super talented. Desmond Ritter's a guy that I would, I would spend an NFL draft pick on him. I think he's he's got enough potential where I'm like, I can coach this kid up and make him do a good football player. He's a competitive MF. I really like Desmond Ritter. Not perfect, but he's a senior. Making like Going on his final run of his career, he gives Cincinnati a chance to beat Notre Dame, and I think Notre Dame is better, but I I really want to see Cincinnati compete and try to make it interesting. That is what I'm hoping for. I would love it if Cincinnati won because what it would do—I love the city of Cincinnati. I love Skyline Chili. I love the people there. Uh, I've got friends who went to school there, and Cincinnati's a growing football program. If they win and beat Notre Dame on the road, think— of how much that would legitimize that program nationally. People that don't pay any attention and don't really know how good Cincinnati's been recently are going to go. Oh, can you believe? They're gonna go, oh. And they're going to forget that Cincinnati's ranked higher than Notre Dame right now. And I think Notre Dame wins. I'm not. I'm not going to predict an upset here. They're playing at home. They got better recruits. I think. I think. I think Notre Dame wins this game. But if Cincinnati wins, do not be shocked. Don't pretend that's the most incredible shocking thing you've ever seen in college football because it won't be because this Cincinnati program gets better and better and better every year they got all their ducks in a row this might be their year they pull off a massive victory like beating Notre Dame on the road yet number five Iowa at Maryland I have been waiting and waiting and waiting for a reason to watch Maryland's young quarterback Talia Tungvaloa place from Hawaii he is the younger brother of Tua he's awesome I love seeing him succeed, and he's having a great year so far. Talia Tungavaloa has been fantastic. They're hosting number five, Iowa. Iowa's number five in the nation. Blows my mind. That'll be a fun game to watch. Also, got number 21, Baylor, at number 19, Oklahoma State. I know nothing about this game. I'm not going to pretend. I, I, I never pretend. I never tell you, I never blow smoke up your bums. I don't know. Neither team has a quarterback I'm interested in. When you don't have a quarterback I care about in college football, I like the NFL more. I like scouting quarterbacks. They don't have a quarterback I want to scout, so I, I know next to nothing. And I like Mike Gundy, the Oklahoma coach. Does that count for anything? I like Matt Rule. He left Baylor. I like Baylor's new stadium. I said everything I know about those two football programs. But what I do know is the rankings are very close. 19 Oklahoma State hosting, 21 Baylor. That interests me. I hope that's good. I'll have it on. And if it looks good, I'll turn it on. And, and then I'll learn something about Oklahoma State and Baylor. And Oklahoma State, let me, I think it's at Oklahoma. I met Oklahoma State. Finally, the last game I will watch, I'll watch this for sure. It's the only game kind of in a reasonable, it's, it's at Hawaii. So it's, a, it's got a reasonable start time for me. Every, every, like the Alabama game, I think it's at 6 a.m. here in Hawaii, which I, I actually like it because I can start it when I, I wake up at 5 30 and I can watch a game and we'll have fun. But I got number 18 Fresno State. At Hawaii, it starts at 5 o'clock here, so that's 8 o'clock West Coast time. No one wants to watch this game, but maybe you record it. If you if you love football and you love quarterbacks, then you'll record this game and watch it on Sunday maybe. like Maybe you are got a, a time between football games in the NFL you want to watch. Maybe you wake up early and games start at 10 o'clock on the West Coast and you're up at 7 and you're bored. Record Fresno State at Hawaii because Fresno State quarterback Jake Hayner is a stud he's fantastic he has nfl potential he is a guy jake hayner has grabbed the attention of nfl scouts like no other and i don't know how the university of hawaii uh because the state of hawaii right now is like they're clenched really tight their little bumholes are just like you're not doing anything it's a it's a bumhole clenching quote that's terrible um hawaii is not letting people into games i don't know what that does for scouts I would think you can you can go to a game if you're an NFL scout. But scouts are paying attention to Jay Kaner. So should you. He's a stud quarterback. He's an NFL quarterback. I love watching him play. And that is why you should pay attention to number 18, Fresno State, at unranked Hawaii. Fresno State's only loss of the year was by a touchdown to Oregon, who beat Ohio State. So the law of translation, whatever that's called, the – uh, transference I don't whatever there's some term in math that I forgot I forgot everything I learned in math I went to I, I, I topped out at like algebra two, and I don't remember anything math is so helpful I use it every day in my job <laughs> am I turning into a stand-up comedian who talks about sports I hope not maybe I'm turning into Norm Macdonald I'm fat um <laughs> pay attention to Jay Kaner he's a fantastic quarterback and uh that is why you should pay attention to Fresno State at Hawaii this weekend it's time for Ask Zach, my favorite part of the show. We are rounding the corner. We got two things left to talk about. It has been—this th- segment's an hour and 36 minutes of uninterrupted— I, I think I cut one time because my cat was being loud during the Giants topic. That's a, I'm very proud of that, that I've got the gift of gab where I think I can talk in an entertaining way without taking a break for over an hour. I'm proud of that. Anyway, it's time for Ask Zach, my favorite part of the show. It's where I read questions from the audience. In case you do not know how it works, go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. Give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to, but it literally helps pay my rent. So if you pay more than a dollar, thank you. If you pay just a dollar, it's $12 a year. I think pretty much everybody can afford that. And if you want to submit questions on the show, that's how you do it. Now, if you submit a question, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is to look at each question with my eyeballs. I picked the top couple to read on the show. Question number one comes from Jesse. He says, Zach, my man. And he's excited. I like the exclamation point. I'm so excited to get to participate in this now and give your eyeballs more to look at. Jesse, welcome. This might be your first write-in. That's pretty cool you got picked. I didn't know that when I, I – I, I read the bottom part, which is this. I wanted to ask you what you thought about Urban Meyer – and his play called to do a flea flicker, which resulted in a pick six. The Jaguars were rolling. And after that play, it looked like they had the wind knocked out of them and a, the momentum they had was gone. Do you feel like these types of plays are going to help him adjust to the NFL? And will he learn and change from them? Or do you feel like he will always have that, well, it works in college football mentality? He's talking to Urban Meyer, I think. That's a, I don't know. Here's what I have to say about that. I'm going to, I kind of guess I'm just going to comment on the, the flea flicker, uh, which is a, when I played, coaches love to call flea flickers when you have a turnover and teams are discouraged and trying to do something right. And it you, you looks like you're going to run the ball. People fly up, ready to make a play. Like, you, you, if your quarterback throws an interception, your defense goes out there. Defense is mad. They're back on the field. No, offense didn't score points, they're eager to get another stop. And you run a fleece like your hand to the running back. Safety comes screaming down to stop the run. Often you have two wide safeties. They're run defenders in that scheme. And, and the running back stops, turns around, tosses the ball back to the quarterback, who launches it deep. And, and by the way, the Jaguars had someone wide open deep on this play. Unfortunately, there was a ton of pressure in Trevor Lawrence's face. That's what went wrong on this play. And I, I watched it. There was a man wide open down the middle. It's like, oh, and Trevor... I don't think can see him, and I, don't, I definitely couldn't get in the ball because he's like getting hit as he throws, which is so great that his young quarterback, Urban Meyer's young quarterback, has no protection. Uh, here's the other frustrating part, is there was no real check down for Trevor Lawrence. Like I, When I heard there was a pick six and an interception, I thought, well, Trevor must have forced it vertically into double coverage because usually a young quarterback goes, I have to throw it deep. It's a trick play. We called it to score a touchdown. I'm going to try to score a touchdown. But Trevor tried to do the right thing. He's getting hit as he throws. He can't, he's got, here's, a, even though the guy's wide open deep, if you're getting hit as you throw, you can't get a lot behind the ball. So trying to throw a 70 yard touchdown pass as you're getting hit usually means you throw the ball 30 yards and he gets picked off. <laughs> like I just, you can't get enough behind the ball, to throw it deep as far as you need to do. But Trevor tried to do the right thing. I want to defend Trevor here. He goes, well, I can't get the ball deep. I'm getting hit as I throw. I'm going to try to throw to my check down. And, and unfortunately, it's a poorly executed checkdown. His outlet, which I think should be in the flat, should be like at two yards downfield, so Trevor can get an easy completion. Everyone gets tricked. Tight end fakes blocking, trickles out. Instead, he's got his guy like way downfield. His checkdown is like drifting downfield farther and farther. So Trevor tries to do the right thing and check it down, but his, his checkdown was so far downfield that it got picked off and went for a pick six. Infuriating. That's that's me in a long-winded way telling you how wrong that play went for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, uh, Jesse, I don't know if I answered your question even at all, actually, but I did talk about the play. So maybe that, welcome to Ask Zach where I, I do the best I can. <laughs> I, I really do. I really care and I, I try. Let me, so, well, it works in college. I, I think Urban Meyer's learning the NFL slowly as time goes on. I'm going to talk, uh, you know, I've talked about Urban Meyer a lot. I, I haven't recorded it yet, but I know that, I started the show by talking about the Jaguars Bengals game. Okay, uh, this next name is M A R C I L E S C A S seven. Marcellus Cass seven? I'm gonna call you Mark. Hope that's okay. Mark writes in and says, Hey, Zach, how would you feel about an SOS Patreon meetup in Hawaii or whenever? Uh, when international travel is allowed, I'm sure some of us would like it and come from around the world. I would absolutely effing love to do that. And I think what I'll do, I, I think next year, next probably two years from now, actually, because I got to get financially stable. I got to wait till COVID opens up, uh, till the world opens up from uh, the illness going around. Um, I really want to go to the Midwest, where the Midwest is so truncated. You can go to Chicago, to Green Bay, to Cincinnati, to Tennessee, to Ohio, to Cincinnati, like bang, 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 Minneapolis. Like it's all so close up there. I would love to spend a month and a half on the road, recording podcasts in hotel rooms, having fun with it. Just like, hey, my set's ugly, but I went to the Bears game this weekend. You know what I mean? Just like leaning into it. Uh, and when I'm in the Midwest, I really want to, I think, I don't know that like, I'm not gonna, I, I don't think I have the draw to get like 200 people to show up to an event. I just don't. But I might get like 10, and if I had dinner with 10 people, and, and if I, I, went, I had dinner in Utah with a bunch of people, uh, people from Patreon, actually, and supporters, and I, I, I broadcasted the Washington State-Utah game in Salt Lake City, and I went down to Salt Lake City. I had breakfast with 10, 12 people, something like that uh, at, down there, and it was just—and I, I, I think if I can remember, if I can remember correctly, I paid for the whole table of people visiting with me. I hope I did. That's what I—if if I did it now— that's what I would do. I'd say, hey, if you want to hang out with me, uh, and I'm, I'm actually not going to promise I would pay for people because if 30 people show up, I can't pay for 30 people. But if like four people show up to dinner, we get burgers and a beer in Chicago or Cincinnati or Skyline Chili or something, which Skyline Chili is not a city, but it means so much to me. I'm going for sure. I love, I effing love Cincinnati. Um, yeah, if I could, I'd pay for dinner and say, hey, thanks for coming. Your, your support means a lot. I, I love the people. Like people don't realize how much Wow, um, people don't realize how much this show has changed my life, <laughs> and I am so grateful. I get to do what I love every day, and that's because of people that—Patreon literally is my most stable income, and this summer, I moved to Hawaii. People were mad I did do film analysis videos, and I had, I had problems with the NFL. like They didn't like my film analysis videos. I have problems with my landlord. He's nickel and diming me at every turn. My my landlord made me pay for light bulbs. And he has it in the contract that I have to. Because I, I, I rented for the first time this place and I didn't know what I was doing. And he he just screwed me up the bunghole. It was horrible. Bunghole's a good one. Uh and so it's been really, really stressful. I moved to Hawaii to save money, believe it or not, because Hawaii if you if you can work remotely the bills were lower in Seattle, in Hawaii than Portland, believe it or not. My apartment's cheaper. My internet's cheaper. My electricity's cheaper. And part of that's because it's a smaller place. But um, it's been hard because I haven't been making very many videos because I've been moving. And I've had this landlord coming after me. And I can finally say it being predatory to me for six months. Um, and, and I can't say thank you enough because the the one source of income I could always rely on was Patreon. And it it it's kept me afloat. The reason why I'm in this apartment able to talk is because Patreon came in clutch. I could always depend on the money coming from Patreon every month, and I can't say thank you enough to those people. And if, I, if the least I can do is buy that – whoever supports me on Patreon, I can buy you a burger. Are you kidding me? To repay you for my whole life? It's totally worth it. So I, I – We'll always have time for people. If I'm in a city, people come. If you're in Hawaii, if you're in Honolulu, text me. Send me a message on Instagram or, or Patreon, whatever. I'll read it. I read everything on Patreon. I definitely will, I will try my, I try to, I, like I, I get so many messages on Instagram, I can't read all of them. I can't, I can't, I can't I feel so bad. I can't, there's too many. There's, I have 10,000 followers, which I can't imagine having like a million. You'll never read everything ever. Um, but if you're ever in Hawaii, Reach out to me. Try to reach out to me. I would love to. We'll play catch at the park. There's a park by my house. We'll play catch. Got a football right here. I will. I will throw you this football if you come to Hawaii and play catch with me. I I swear to God, that'd be awesome. I'll get a beer with you. I I, I, I like. Like the least I can do is say hi to the people who make my whole life possible. Because I love my job. I love my life. I have been more successful. I'm not very rich. I'm like people think I am because I'm a YouTuber. My my views are not that high. I've decided to make content I like rather than content that will get a lot of views and I know that's a weird thing to say, but I at the end of the day, I have to look in the mirror and say I love my content.' It's, it's amazing and I, I, I've chosen that route rather than selling out like Stephen A Smith, you know, just trying to poke the bear and make Cowboys fans angry and trolling them every week. So I appreciate more than you know the people who support my show and I, I'm not the richest man in the world. I am the happiest man in the world. I'm the most fulfilled person you've probably ever heard of. I I can't say to you how happy I am. Like today I sat down at my desk and I was like, dude, this topic, redrafting the Giants, amazing. I think it's my best written segment I've ever done. Mr. Gettleman. I I, I said, said, Mr. Dave. That's like fun. I don't know. I love what I do. And I I just, I'm rambling now, but I, I hope it's clear. Dude, if I can get dinner with you, that's amazing to meet people that listen to my show. Like, <laughs> how cool is that? I love that. And I, and I hope I never lose that, that gratitude. Um, so yeah, could I do a meetup? I hope to do like, I'll just put it casually out there whenever I'm in the Midwest, whenever I travel anywhere, I'll probably, other than when I get married, like we're going on my honeymoon, I'm not going to tell you where I'm going. Oh, I'll tell you where I'm going, but I'm not, if you, if you DM me and I'm on my honeymoon in Alaska, which is where I'm going to try to go. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm sorry. Uh, maybe you know. Maybe I will though, because I do have a fiance that would support that. She'd say like, "Hey," and be like, "Hey, someone who listens to the podcast wants to get a beer in Ketchikan, Alaska. Can we? Can we go?" And if we're there, she'd probably let me because she's wonderful, and she'd probably come because it sounds fun. So, I don't know, man. um That's a part of my show I'd like to expand, which is interact with the audience as much as I can. So, if you're in Hawaii. I'll throw you this football. I swear to God, I will throw you this ball in the park under the lights at night by my house. It's an apartment, but you know, you get my drift. If I'm in the Midwest, if I'm in Chicago, I'll put on Instagram, hey, I want to get a burger. Where's a good burger? If you tell me where to get a good burger, actually, what I got I got to get deep dish pizza in Chicago. So say, who's got the best deep dish pizza? I'm going to deep dish pizza. I'm going to this location at this time. If you want to meet me, come say hi. And then if it gets too big, we'll have to get a private room or something, and do like you know, like pretend it's like a birthday and say, "Hey, it's it's Jimmy's birthday, uh, and we want to rent the room because we or or I just asked we probably do you? I've never done that for private birthdays at a pizza place. Do you like say? Do you you have to rent out the room or do they just give it to you if you ask because they know they're going to get your business? I don't know, but I'm all down for that. Chicago, Green Bay, Minnesota, and maybe you maybe you like are mad about something I've said. Then come talk to me about that. If I'm in – I want to go to Detroit. I think Detroit would be really cool. If I'm in Detroit and you're a Lions fan and I said something over the years that you're mad about and you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet Zach Shomler," and, and, and as, I, I, would, I would prefer you not yell at me. I prefer you be, like, respectful. But if you want to come challenge what I have to say or my opinion, I'll listen to you. I think I'd be – I love conversation. I love being challenged. I love my ideas being pushed, and that would be really cool. So Cincinnati, Chicago, the Midwest, where, wherever I go around America, I'm always going to try to put out a message. Hey, I'm in this city. I want good food. I don't want to meet people because I, I, as much as I can, I want to do that. And, um, God, this has been such a rambly topic, but I, I just want to express my gratitude. I live in Hawaii, and I pay the lowest rent I've ever paid in my life, I swim every day. I talk about sports. But here's the thing. Uh, I, you know, uh, I I was talking about Jalen Hurts the other day, the Eagles quarterback. And I I said that Philadelphia Eagles fans can always feel comforted knowing that their starting quarterback is working hard to give the people what they want. I want to be like Jalen Hurts. I'm not an NFL quarterback. My football career failed. I failed in college. Uh, I was short. I, I don't know. I, I honestly, like the, the real talk is I've worked harder as a podcast host than I ever did as a quarterback because I learned how to work by doing this. I grew up doing this show. But I, I'm incredibly inspired watching Jalen Hurts, watching Tom Brady, watching Drew Brees, developing their craft, getting better at every little thing they can. And I still throw the ball like all the time. I'm trying to make my mechanics better. I'll never play quarterback again, probably. Maybe flag football would be cool. Gosh, I want to play flag football. I I love that. Um, But Here's my promise. I promise you, if you're a fan of this podcast, I will work my tail off to give you what you want. I work my butt off every day to make great content that's quality. I try to be timely and, and thread the needle between being on time and high quality. And I promise you will always get that from me. I promise you. You'll get my best effort. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I say dumb stuff. But I'm always doing my very best. And I will always get better. Every day I wake up, I think, what can make my show a little bit better? So that is my promise to you is you will always get my best effort. I think I've been talking for 20 minutes about Patreon. So I love you guys. I appreciate you. Mark uh, Marcellius or Can or whatever your name was, thank you for writing in. I appreciate you. Jesse, I appreciate you. All my Patreon supporters, you made my life possible. You don't even know how much your support on Patreon impacted me over those past six months. Uh, and and even if you hate me, but you watch the show, thank you. Because I'll take your view. It pays me money, and uh, I, I'm just so grateful for the life I get to live and I love doing my show. Guys, that is all I have after a, you know, because, I, 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 again, I, I can't say this enough. I haven't recorded the first segment of the show yet. So I don't actually know how long the show is going to be. This segment is like an hour and 50 minutes, plus assume like 30 more minutes for the Jaguars-Bengals talk. Um, if you've gotten to this point, thank you so much. I love you. I appreciate you. But dum bum Bam! We are done.